This is a Galactic Network podcast. The Podcast of Terror is a great podcast. It's covering movies that are not for children, and thus this podcast is not for children. The hosts are two adults who will use bad words from time to time. They'll also spoil movies if that's not your thing. So if you don't like spoilers and you don't want to hear some dirty language or some dirty references to dirty parts of your body, then please, please, please wash your body parts better and do not listen to this show. If you can handle it, and I hope you can because there's a great podcast coming up, then please proceed with Podcast of Terror. Welcome to episode 151 of the podcast here, a production of Galactic Netcasts. Yes, it's back to Netcasts. That decision was made. Uh, for more on this podcast, including show notes, contact information, subscription links, go to gncast.com slash pot. Uh, I'm Matt Stein. Corey will be here shortly. Uh, this week, our guest is Phil Rude. He's the illustrator guy. Um, I believe him and Corey go way back, so I'm sure they'll have a lot to talk about, but uh, we'll get into a little bit more of what he does. Um, I do want to point out, so it, after some discussion with Corey, it's decided we're going to be taking some time off. Um, I personally need it. I don't want to get into details because I, unlike Corey, don't divulge the entirety of my personal life. God bless him for doing that. I can't. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be taking a little bit of a break. We're not, uh, necessarily done. We don't know when we're coming back, but, uh, just figured it was, it was worth letting everyone, everyone know. So, uh, we thank you for all the support and everything. So, and uh, and I'll follow. I've listened to the show. I I have a rough idea of how it goes, and uh, yeah, yeah how, wherever you guys want to go, please describe to us the rough idea of how it goes because we have had no clue in 151 episodes. That's that's my kind of show, man. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, a bunch of coworkers watch that mask singer or whatever, and they all talk about it and. I don't give a shit. Like, I think it's interesting to see what the concept is and who ends up on it. Like, I knew it was a big deal that Antonio Brown missed football practice ultimately to get kicked off the show. And I'm like, that's <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and then, like, Cheech was or Chong was on. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we, everyone. We the first episode last night because it was playing in a repeat on Fox. Oh, and and Terry, I was like, oh, I need oh, okay. to, to palette cleanse me before i jump <laughs> into this week's movie uh i need to i need to let's let's take a, a second and watch this and then we'll go into the uh massive cardiac arrest that i'm gonna have trying to watch uh, our film pick for the week but yeah sorry about that by the way no it's cool <laughs> we're, we're just like we have it on and it's it's not good it, and it really is like an hour of the judges saying oh wouldn't it be great if it's this person it's fucking not uh no. it's, it's a real life spinoff people of like oh we couldn't get on celebrity big brother this month so uh i guess we'll come over and and sing while i'm dressed up like a a fuzzy dildo and hope that people appreciate it for the five minutes that i'm on the show is um is it like every other american tv show where it's four minutes of whatever the show is about and then 38 minutes talking about how how hard their life was um, no, because you don't know who the contestants are. The The contestants only get to say like one or two things as clues and they, they do a lead in. So yeah, there is a little bit of like, I'm on here because I want to separate myself from the pack and not be judged by my looks or whatever else. And it's like, okay, weird voice. No, uh, the, the check cash. That's why you're on. 
Right. But yeah, it, it's to get the check cash. By the way, the uh, the host of the show is Nick Cannon, Nick Cannon? who is like the biggest <laughs> hanger on so of like, hey, remember when I was in that drumming movie and then I married Mariah Carey because she was drunk and uh, I've milked that as far as I could until they kicked me off of You've Got Talent and, and put me over here in the dregs of this shit. Mm-hmm. The best thing Nick Cannon was ever in was he was a Dave Chappelle punchline in a sketch on there where his kid was a bigger Nick Cannon fan than than Dave Chappelle fan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick Cannon is a fucking. <sighs> he's not good. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> he's not anybody. That that's all it is. Is he's not anybody. He is a a celebrity in the sense of people have heard of him, yeah. but not for doing anything. Except if you go back to that one movie, and it's like, hey man, you you were in Drumline, sure, that's cool. And well, uh, everybody else you've named on that show is is also not any like Jenny McCarthy was in Playboy, and then she was on an MTV dating show. Don't forget basketball. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, I fucking love that movie. That is a great movie. I do it's like so basketball. Fun. That's uh, under underrated parody movie. Absolutely. Uh, and then she just shouts about uh, vaccinations, and that's well, <clears throat> all she's been known for for the last fifteen years. To in her defense, she married um, Donnie Wahlberg, so oh, she's on Christ. she's on she was on Wahlburgers, and then they got their own show called uh, Donnie Loves Jenny. Oh my God, you guys know way more reality TV than I do. I uh... I love if if it makes people <laughs> look terrible and me hate my life less, I love it. Love, Isn't Donnie Jenny like a direct ripoff of Flavor Flav and and that Brigitte Nielsen? Like it sounds life. like yeah. the same show. It's like what? Well, so you're it's... ripping off Flavor Flav, which but, is itself but, a ripoff of Donnie Lovetrachi. But at this <laughs> at this point, everyone <laughs> is ripping off Flavor Flav because he was one of the original like dating shows on VH1, um, which I guess probably ripped off The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. But I'm I don't care well, enough to Google out dates on these things. It was a spinoff from the surreal life on VH1. Yes. That's where he and Brigitte met. Mm-hmm. And, and he's just like, hey, I'm this ugly, creepy little old rap dude who uh, gets 90 people pregnant in a in a time zone. And so he's sure, a, watch more of me. He's a fucking sniper, all right? Yeah, and, and then it goes from that to love, the flavor of love to yeah. oh, uh, New York. I love, love New York. And, and then New York was in a Sharknado movie. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. But but Rock of Love was the the one with Brett Michaels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he plowed all those chicks. Well, of course, he's Brett Michaels. He God has to do him. anything because I assume he thinks that that's going to make his hair grow back. I think no. he kept the bandana on the whole time. He did, and a, and yeah. a cowboy oh. hat. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> Made him sign NDAs. Like if, was the, if the wig show. falls off, don't talk about it. <laughs> wig NDAs. Yeah. Dude, I read I read on the internet once that some girl had sex with Skrillex and he made her sign an NDA and then cried for 45 minutes afterwards. <laughs> so much for that NDA. Yeah, right. Fuck, man. <laughs> Going to the internet with this right away. Exactly. I'm sure that girl was pissed off at herself. She's like, God damn it, I could have been with DJ Danger Mouse. <laughs> Who? DJ Danger Mouse, the, the DJ that wears the big giant mouse head. Dead Mouse? It's like, Dead Mouse, yes. I'm Come sorry. On. I still Danger Mouse. You're so old. <laughs> oh, Danger I Mouse was the other. Danger- I was I was right there with him. Dude, and, when, uh, you, when uh, you said DJ Danger Mouse, I was like, hey, maybe this is like some new fat beats I'm missing. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> drops back beats on Fridays and then goes and does spy stuff on Saturdays with his little weasel pal. I don't remember the show. Hey man, I don't I don't know. I don't know what you've been doing with your free time. Maybe you're yeah. getting really deep into the drum and bass music and I think you just pitched a good show, actually. Uh, uh, he's a DJ much. on the weekends and then uh, he's a spy during the week. Yes. But, but that's the thing, is that that is the goddamn secret singer thing that they're doing on Fox right now because you could have anybody under that helmet. It's like, hey, I just had sex with this DJ who ran the club. Oh, yeah? Take off the helmet. It's Aziz Ansari. Oh, shit. Well, I got to go right away. <laughs> I'd watch it. I would I watch it religiously. <laughs> there could be like 30 cameras in those ears anyway, so you know it'd be great. Like, stop motion TV. Because I assume any sex with Zen Z Sensari looks like claymation. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm not even going near that. Why not? <laughs> no, he was uh, quoting the woman from the article. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We're off to a good start. So, Phil, we should talk about what you do with your life other than Aziz Ansari claymation sex jokes. Well, you know, uh, that's my most visited channel on Pornhub is uh, <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop, stop Motion at Season. Sorry. <laughs> Pornhub needs a Rankin Bass channel. That would be so good. It would, it would be Rankin Ass, and oh, uh, it, it would be. <laughs> I'm Mr. Ice Finger. Oh. What do you think the odds are they added a stop motion category since the last time I read them all off? I think stop motion porn was basically what we had when we were still on dial-up. Someone, you just pay your buddy to, to draw it and you can pick a flip book? No, it, just, it felt like it because it the, just, uh, the, uh, yeah, no the refresh rate, rate was... Fucking, uh, oh shit, someone called the house! Damn it! It just stopped the whole thing. <laughs> Damn it, Grandma! I'm trying to beat off over here. <laughs> Grandma's upstairs using the, the portable phone to do that herself. So, speaking of masturbating... The is really good for reaching the Oh, uh, old so, dry spots. Oh Jesus! So last night there was a, a girl with a, a obnoxiously large cans at our show, and uh, our singer and what I were you, Matt? Was it you in front of a mirror? I wish, I wish I had cans like this girl. What is obnoxiously large? Um, like cartoonishly big. Yeah, they're they're com- They were comically large for her, yeah. large for her frame. Yeah. Um, and our singer pointed it out to me, and I was like, Yeah, no, I totally saw it. Like I'm I'm a dude. I said I love my wife, but I saw I saw the boobs, <laughs> and. uh we made some comment, and I said, oh, I mean, I'm staying in a hotel tonight, so I'll have to you know, jerk off about it tomorrow when I get home. And he looks at me, and he goes, why not just while you're driving back to the hotel? I'm like, eh, good point. I said, I get pulled over, and the officer, and the cop will just be like, do you know why I pulled you over? And then the band stopped, and I yelled, because I was jerking off, officer. <laughs> and everyone just looks at me, and I was like, eh, whatever. I would just like to see the couples up to you, and that's when you finish. <laughs> I just needed the eye contact, sir. You can take me away now. I mean, this fantasy would ever be fulfilled, but thank you, sir. And, and what would, that would be the greatest story to get out of a ticket, too, because it was just like, no, thanks. He just <laughs> you tracks away slowly, just like uh, shuts his light off. All right, go wherever you're going. Just like a dumb and dumber. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> now we know why Matt's got all those McDonald's napkins in his car. You got to clean them up somehow. <laughs> certainly do. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just refilling the sauce packets. Oh, making my own Szechuan sauce. 
I totally forgot what we were talking about before I decided to tell everyone how I was going to jerk off to some boobs I saw. We were asking Phil where he was from. Oh, yeah. And I don't know yeah. It now. <laughs> yeah. How easily we're sidetracked. I'm, I'm pretty bad. I'm sorry. No, no. We're all bad. That's uh, how we all end up here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's how you end up uh, hosting a podcast, I think, is are you easily sidetracked? Are you easily distracted? Here's a microphone. Uh, try to talk about one thing. <laughs> Click record and just see where, see where yeah. it takes us. Pretty much. Um, I do host a podcast. I host uh, Brokebot Mountain on the Blazing Caribou Studios Network, and we talk about science fiction movies. A recent guest, Corey Scott, came on to talk about being John Malkovich. Is that a consider? Is like, that considered a science fiction movie? Uh, we we looped it in there. We're we're I've pretty never, loose. I've never we, done uh, enough drugs to watch the entire movie, so I'm sorry. I guess it is kind of a. Uh, I think we lumped that into our college dorm room poster series of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you first start kind of waking up and doing drugs enough to go, this movie's brilliant. And uh, Donnie Darko, those kind of movies. Yep. We, I, f- I feel like it's it's one of those movies where if you want to be artsy with movies, that's one that you have to like. Sure. Well, uh, so Brokeback Mountain came out of the Westworld series, as Westworld you guys were reviewing started and so i always treat it as that it's a little bit sci-fi in theme but it's also a little bit mindfuck in theme oh and because that's what westworld does is that it it is a sci-fi show but it's really about the journey that you go on trying to discover what's going on in the background and stuff it's a little bit like lost except i think they actually have a plot for the first season uh so in that regard yeah donnie darko being john malkovich those things make a good deal of sense if it's yeah. just college movies, then you would go straight to Boondock Saints and, and that kind of stuff, too. Fight Club, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah we did. Uh, the other one we said was um, Eternal Sunshine, you know, like one of those right. like sort of trippy art house, but mainstream borderline sci-fi movies. We run pretty fast and loose with it. David Luzader and I. Uh, oh, OK. We uh, you guys know David, right? Yeah. I mean, I know you do. You do, Corey. Uh, yeah. He did a show uh, with does, Brett. Um, he, he still does a show. They do movie go round now. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it used to be a different name. But... Uh, Geek Cinema Society is what it yes. what it used to be. But yeah, and Nicole goes from that as and well. Nicole Nicole Davis. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we. I mean, we. It's kind of just sort of. Uh, what do we want? We did Into the Spider Verse last week, nice. just because it was new and we were stoked about it. We did. Uh, we reviewed Glow. There's nothing science fiction about Glow, but we were just so stoked about about the show glow that we were like, yeah, let's talk about it. And we reviewed the second season. So I I believe the the science fiction about glow is the fact that there is a show based off of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling that is actually really relevant and really good. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an awesome show. And we go, Oh, it had a robot in it. So we, we sort of looped it in (laughs) (laughs) the next reviewing rock Four because (laughs) 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 the robot that Polly fucks is in there. And, uh, so we, all right. I like it. Uh, so yeah, we got to we should probably get you on there sometime too, Matt. We, uh, since we just had Corey, we'll bring you both over one week. Sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, we, I don't know. Uh, we, we just have a good time with it. I think it's one of those, we have a, a loose format to it, but it's really just open discussion for a lot of it. So it, um, oh, we just have a good time doing it. It's not like I'm a, a pro podcaster or, or uh or great radio voice or anything like that so we just 
we just kind of lean into uh, how ridiculous things can be and and have a good time talking about it. Yeah. Well, I've I've said this several times about uh, Nicole and Brett and and what what they're doing with David with moving around and stuff is that they review movies very differently than what Matt and I review movies. Uh, it, it's a much more in depth discussion. It's a much more intelligent discussion. Let's be frank. Yeah, they and, are. And I, they're really good. You and David, the same thing is like you get a little sillier but you still really get to the heart of what the films are, um, which is, a, again, a different podcast than what we do. And I think that, that that's very compelling to me. Um, it's not something that I would do a show of because I'm just a little too off the cuff, but I think you guys bring a real intelligence to the, the stuff that you're, you're talking about, which is not to say that I don't love what I do here with Matt, um, but I would do anything sitting around with Matt. Uh, which he's used to his advantage and hurt my wrist many a time. Lots of <laughs> butter. A lot of it. Covered him with body butter and ate him like a piece of toast. Jesus Christ. Uh, but Phil, you are also an artist, uh, which I, I think we were talking a little bit this about this before you came on to the, yeah, the air with so, us. So Corey and I, are at, we're curious if you would draw us. We're going to get just greased. With butter? Yeah, we're going to get greased up wearing yeah. thongs. And just like Greco-Roman wrestling. Oh, you guys just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Keep an eye on uh, my Instagram. For <laughs> nope, nope. Uh, you asked for it. What's your Instagram? Uh, PhilRude75. Was 75 the year you were born? Yeah. Okay. I'm like, because if it's not, I need the explanation as to where the 75 comes from. Oh, uh, no. And I only have the 75 on there because it was one of those things where I started an account and then forgot the password and then had to create a new account. And uh, so I don't get my name. I get my name and my birth year. So do the math. You can find out just how old I am if you can't tell by counting the gray hairs in my beard. I have four. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm close to you. but Four? That's four. You're holding up pretty good, man. So how, that beer must be that beer must be preserving you pretty well. <laughs> okay, so, so how many? How old am I with four gray hairs? Uh, let's see. Uh, the rings in the tree uh, <laughs> times. Uh, how many years have you been drumming in a metal band? Because that's got a. Uh, I don't know if that your 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 pact with Satan keeps you a little bit younger. Oh shit! Um, eight. <laughs> fuck. Six, okay, I got to do math. Six, Eighteen years. Don't hurt yourself. 17 oh, years. Wow. 17 years. Yeah. Oh, you're older than I thought, man. You really are holding up well. I feel well, like an old man. I still need to know how old you are. You got to be what? Mid-30s? 33. Yeah, I started playing bands when I was 16. I was going to say, you've been, you've been at it a long time then. You started young. Yeah, I have a, I have a funny story. Um, I went to Guitar Center, which is aptly called Guitar Center because if you go, you know, they're open for 12 hours a day. If eight, hour, eight of those hours, if you go to the drum section, no one's going to help you. Right. So uh, I went in and it was like one of the three hours a day where someone's there and this kid comes up to me and he's looking at me and I said, well, I'm, I want, I'm looking for this specific electronic drum set. Um, and he goes, oh, yeah, you know, I've been playing for like 13 years. So like this one's really good. And he sits down and starts playing and walks away and he comes back and he, he's like, you know, you're going to need like a hi-hat stand and all this. And he said, Do you have that? And I said, yeah. So I've been playing drums for 24 years. I have all this gear at home. He just kind of looked at me, and then I sat down and just started playing the most obnoxious blast beats, and he just walked away. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm like, I, I know exactly. I said, I, I know what I'm looking for. I just wanted to come in and see it. He goes, we could special order to have it delivered to your house. I'm like, oh, so I could just order it online, and I don't need right, to talk yeah. to right. you. And, we can order it online for you yeah. and take a, take a service charge for you. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can order it online, too. Then I'm sorry. You're the musician's friend staging area for me. That's all this is. Yep, yep. 
So, yeah, I, I just I don't like people that try to brag. You know, like, I don't know you. I don't give a shit about you. Do your job, monkey. <laughs> well, in, in the guitar section of Guitar Center, there's always the guy doing the Eddie Van Halen neck uh-huh. tapping to show you that he can do it and playing the uh, note-perfect version of Eruption that he learned when he was 13. <laughs> and uh, did, did you see the video of uh, they opened a Guitar Center in Times Square? And it was like some guy recording, walking through just people. Dude, there was like 40 guys just all playing guitar at once. I cannot imagine like, how obnoxious the store in Times on Square Earth. has got to be. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like I've gone to Guitar Center and there's a dude just like playing a drum solo on his lunch break. Oh, right. Like, I, I asked the guys working, I'm like, why? How could you do this? Like I went to buy a cymbal and the guy's like, do you want to like sit down and play it? I'm like, yeah, but I said, it's super annoying. And I said, it's going to annoy people. And he goes, oh, we're used to it. Like not, yeah. I guess, but <sighs> I don't know, man. I when I was a teenager, I thought it was cool to go into the the music store and see people actually playing stuff. And it, like, I'm never gonna be the guy who can just pick up a guitar and, and show off with it. I I played music. I I was a music major in college, but there's there's a difference of someone who's a performer versus someone who just wants to play music. But I always thought it was cool that people would do that. It's just when it's just showing off because you think you're the coolest cat sure. there. It's like, dude, if you were the coolest cat around, you wouldn't need to work in the fucking music store right, right. to make money. And I think a lot of times it's people who really wish that they were in a band or had the means to perform in front of people. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to go do this instead. And I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to, I don't want to go on a rant like Corey, but go on a rant. Go for I, it, but, man. but I don't really want to. And it's like I, I'd spend, you know, it's the same people that are like, well, why do you drive three hours to get paid absolutely nothing to play for 20 people? And I'm like, because for 30 minutes, and I was telling someone this last night, I said, I do this because for 30 minutes, I don't have to think about the fact that when I go home, I have a fucking mortgage to pay. Right. And I have a, sure. I have a lawn to mow and shit. I said, it, it's it's the one thing that keeps me young. Although, granted, I, I'm sore for two days after I play a show now, but... You know, it's like, don't, you know, ah, whatever. But you're doing it because you like to do it, not because it makes you feel superior to anybody else. It's not that it's making you feel cool. It just makes you feel happy. No, and and that's the other thing. I was like, when when we play, like, we, I've played for the other bands multiple times. So it's like, I'm I'm having fun with the other guys in my band. I don't give a shit about the crowd because a lot of times if there are people even there like they were silent in between our songs last night <laughs> silent to a point where it was kind of uncomfortable and i said something um and then our singer tried like his, his five <laughs> minute like stand-up routine in between songs it was it was uncomfortable but um yeah so it's like i'm, I'm just i'm used to there being no one there so it's like if i'm not having fun with my four best friends then like what's the point i'm not gonna well, get rich doing it <laughs> It's it's I think the same reason uh, I draw or Corey writes or exactly. uh, we all record podcasts that ten people listen to. It's it's not ten. about yeah ten men. Uh, want to get on your numbers? Uh, I'm I'm combining our shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our six and uh, your four. You know it is digits. it is that that drive to do something creative, and I think yeah. you really said it good. I'm not thinking about going to work tomorrow i'm not thinking about my mortgage i'm not thinking about this thing that's due mm-hmm. uh in in a time i sit down and and draw or i do play guitar but i just play at home yeah but when i am doing that i'm doing it just for me and it's just sort of a uh almost a meditative kind of 
it, thing it, when, when creative when creativity is done right it it gets to that level and it's just really freeing i think yeah and it's it's the whole process of like the entire day you know it's like i woke up and i'm like all right i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta pack up my shit i gotta drive you know it takes this long to get to the show you know i met some uh, a buddy of mine for dinner before so it's like well we gotta do this i gotta have this much time and then you get there and then you gotta set up your stuff and you know so it's like i i like like the busy body nature of it sure and it was like even during the drive like um one of the one of my best friends lives in Kansas, and uh, he's like, "Well, we want to come up and play some shows. What weekends work, kind of thing." So I was calling, you know, like our singer and talking to him, and it's like, "Well, what if we do this? What if we do that?" It's like we could get this band to play these shows, and it's like so that just that whole process um, is terrible and amazing to me. It's just so much fun to like to plan that shit out. Um. Do you get a thing like when you're building up to actually playing, when you're driving to a show or something? Do do you have that nervous energy kind of thing oh, bubble God. up, and that's sort of like a driver for? Like I had it tonight before getting on mic. I'm like, I, I've only talked to Corey a little bit. I've only you know said hi to Matt in a yeah. chat or, or email or something, and and it just sort of like it drives you and amps you up a little bit. Yeah, to, it's to it's. Be- it's nervous energy and, and the sure. thing is is like um yeah i wrote those songs and i've played them and i've listened to them hundreds of times but like i told Corey, i said um i was setting up and and a buddy of mine drove a couple hours it was all he just show so he brought his uh 11 year old son and um sorry seth if i got theo's age wrong but um he seth said something to me about like he goes which one of these symbols did you crack and i'm like none of them and then it was like we started to play in the first hit i just put like a big like a three inch crack in one of my symbols and i was like motherfucker so i can't remember why i started to tell this but it's, well, because it's just like the whole like, a shitty time if, if you were taking it too seriously that could have turned into an immediate shitty time oh yeah, yeah yeah but it's still the process of like you know um the way that we write music and i don't i i i guessing you've never listened to us and I, I don't blame you one bit but um a lot of the parts i have to count because of how they're written if i don't count i'll miss whatever little thing i do that tells me that the part starts over so that i know how many times to play right. it. so it, it, you know sometimes shit happens and like the last show we played i got a little too drunk before we played <laughs> and i would i was forgetting to count and i got really nervous but you know i've been playing with these guys for like over 10 years so we've we've gotten good enough to kind of know um what's going on uh you can kind of fall back into it. Yeah, yeah. And last night, like, I, I don't, I don't think you've ever played live. You've never played out at all, have you? No. no okay. No, so <clears throat> I, I'm used to not having a drum monitor, which is fine to hear the guitar player. But usually, I, they aim the cab at me, right? So I can hear it, and the sound guy like purposely turned it away. I was like, "Fuck!" For so, <laughs> purposely turned it away? Yeah, <laughs> because because of how it was set up, like he couldn't really do it. Um, so our guitar player and I are just we're, we we're, we've played enough together to know like when a, when a transition is coming up we make eye contact to just be like yeah no 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 right. we're good we're good okay so you know we did a lot of that and like my buddy's kid was like you know Tim was just staring at you the whole time and I'm like well we have to do that because I couldn't hear and I can't really watch his hand and know what he's playing um so yeah so overall it was good and to answer Beat's question no I don't we don't play to a click live. We made the decision not to because of the natural feel of how our music is. We recorded to a click. Um, I've offered to play to a click live, and everyone in our band said no. So 
it's fine. It's also just more technology that you have to worry about. I was also telling Corey about uh, we were trying to use samples and the sampler wouldn't work because the sound guy's cables were all jacked up and he refused to use mine. Um, so the less the less points of failure you can have, the easier it is to pull off a live show. For sure. You know, so I don't use drum triggers, although I've thought about it just for the sound because you don't always mic a bass drum. From samples we don't need, but I, we can get by with them. Um, I do, and he just mentioned in-ears, I have them, but I've never once used them because we're never in a situation where I can use them. Um, so I just pucker up and give her hell. And that's what you're used to, too, though. It yeah. sounds like. I yeah, mean, I mean, the, you're the, just sort of used to doing it the old-fashioned way. Yep. Where? Yep. You know, I um, I have a bunch, I have a lot of friends out in Minneapolis, and when I go out there for shows, it's like every band has a Pro Tools laptop in-ears. They're all playing to a click, and right. I'm like, and and then they have stage scrims and like banners and shit. I'm like, if any one of those things go wrong, your whole show's fucked. Like yeah, a, it's like driving with training wheels for years, or or wearing a. Uh... Uh, a back brace and and you wear the back brace because you have a problem with your back and you're like okay well I'm, I'm trying to you know use this sparingly but the people who rely on it all the time have more fucked up backs because it's always there and they don't know how to like survive without it well and that's the thing is you your, your muscles are trained to have that there to aid you yeah it's like when i used to drive home with a gps on all the time even though i knew where i was going and then eventually my brain just like uh, how do I do this without that? <laughs> I got yeah. lost on my way home. I've driven it every day for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I see it with, um, I don't draw digitally. Um, and I'm not opposed to it, but when there, whenever there's a Photoshop update, I go on Twitter and I see everyone, every digital artist I know is screaming about, yeah. Oh, the Photoshop update fucked me up. I got to spend this weekend relearning where they put it, you know, and it's just sort of like you get so reliant on something that when it shifts or changes or God forbid, it just drops out. Mm-hmm. You're just fucked. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, um, the, the show we played back in December in Milwaukee, the band after us, two bands after us, either way, they're friends of ours. I love, they're all super nice guys, but they play to the drummer plays to a click. They have backing tracks cause it's more symphonic and they have a light show that accompanies it yep and when it works it's awesome it's great you know but they were having issues with like the drummer's click in his in-ears and it's like it took forever to get it figured out and to start the set and like last night when the dude's like yeah there's no signal from your sampler after the second cable i was just like fuck it i said we don't need it we just won't play we won't play with it and he's like are you sure i'm like i don't need it you know so and we've always been very much like you get on stage you play you get off stage like i don't want to be the bottleneck you know, you you have a 15 minute changeover used, get the fuck off stage. Like the band before us, I was talking to my buddy and I said, I said, guaranteed, this is a band who takes their symbols off on stage. No shit. They got done playing the guy's first pulling his symbols off. I'm like, oh damn it. Get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> like uh, you're just delaying, like, you know, we're trying to keep the show moving and, and, you know, they were late to start and all that. But I think that's funny that you can spot that. Um, you, you dude, like, you know, like, like I said, I've we've been doing this long enough and, yeah. uh, um, you've bet, you know, we've played in enough places and you've played with enough bands and you can, you can kind of tell who's who, you know, um, the drummer of one of the bands was really inconsiderate. He was younger. I think it might've been one of their first shows out. So yeah. it's like, you get that anxious energy where it's like, oh, I'm really cool. My friends came and, you know, I, dude, I did it too. I'm sure I did it too. I don't think I ever, 
you know, but I don't think I ever took my symbols off on stage unless we played last. But yeah, uh, I never liked playing last, so we try to limit that shit. I was just thinking it's funny how you, how uh, I'm good at this in some respects, how people are able to size people up. Yeah. You know, I, we'll go, uh, we'll meet with friends or something and I'll meet, you know, a work party or something where you meet a bunch of people. And I'll lean over to my wife at some point and go, if this guy finds out I was in the military, he will tell me military stories yep. all night. He will tell me army stories all night long. <laughs> and, and and I will peg that person and to a T, it's that guy every time. It's like I can go around and kind of size those those people up sometimes. I always hate people that are like, oh, you played a metal band. You listen to Five Finger Death Punch. And I just want to be like, go kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, but you got to remember to some people that is what metal is. I agree. If they, they don't go deep on it. And, and that's I think it's OK. It's the same thing as like meeting somebody who says they're a comic fan and they only know like a certain thing of comics. Yeah. I don't take issue with that because I don't think that makes them less of a real fan than anybody else. But I do understand the frustration of like, yeah, that's cool. That's not what we're about, you know, yeah. and, and I can't really explain to you what we're about because you, you haven't heard anything that's like it. Right. And there's, um, there's a, a, a fitness biz company it's called rise above fitness the singer of a band uh bleeding through started it and he has a shirt and it just says heavy music heavy lifting and like he strong-armed me into buying a shirt long story short and i was wearing it to the gym one time and this guy walks up and he goes what uh what's heavy music and i told him what was on my playlist and he goes oh thank god he goes i thought you were gonna say five finger death punch <laughs> i'm like no, no 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 i'm like i actually listen to heavy music but so it, yeah it's just like i, I don't know I, I get the people who try to find common ground by all means necessary but it's like we don't we don't have to be friends like we don't or you can be friends without having that similarity well the other thing the other thing that bothers me is someone who tries so hard to like find some sort of commonality that it's just annoying like, yeah i don't like people who try super hard to be my friend or be someone's friend and it's like if something's gonna happen it's gonna happen naturally just fucking let it go Oh, let me zip up my hoodie so you don't see my Megadeth shirt. I wore to impress you, Matt. So, I, uh... you know, funny story. I'm actually I'm going to see Megadeth for the first time this summer. I've never seen Megadeth. I'm a huge Metallica fan. Never seen Megadeth, so I'm going to go see him with Ozzy in Milwaukee. Do you get a Do you get a thing too where people think uh, heavy metal is all you listen to? And maybe it is, but I just no, it's, you know it's, like. It's it's not all I listen to, and yes, people are like, "Do you I, even listen to anything else?" I am always shocked by how people pigeonhole you know if if someone hears me listening to country music like oh you you only listen to country i go i don't even listen to radio country i listen to old country or i listen to alt country so i'm glad but you i said also that. listen to blues i also listen to jazz i also yeah. listen to everything yeah. I, i'm really glad you said because i th i think country music radio country music is the worst type the of music, worst yes. but it makes the most money um like i was watching ridiculousness and that the florida georgia line was on it and i'm like these guys are functionally fucking retarded and i cannot imagine how they're famous and i'm like these guys I, I hate these guys and i'm like your music's bad your bad people just die um but like old country is really good like the singer of thrice dustin kensry did a, a a couple solo albums that is like old country and i think it's fucking amazing it's like, awesome yeah. i hate i hate the city of chicago and i drove downtown chicago to take my wife to see him like that's that's, awesome. that's how yeah. much yeah so and uh um, 
someone asked me this recently. They're like, what else do you listen to? I'm like, dude, I have a, I have a rap playlist. And right. when I listen to rap, like, it, I, I, I treat rap the same way I treat me. Like, I, I like heavy music that has, um, and I don't know how heavy the music you listen to. So if, if I get a little out there and you need an explanation, please let me know. But like, I like like the deathcore bands with like really heavy, like low guitar tones and like groovy chugs. So I, Corey's trying to Corey's trying to play one right now. <laughs> um, so that was my dead mouse beep drop. Nice, <laughs> there it is. So danger uh, mouse. Um, danger mouse. Yeah. Um, so I like rap music that has like really thick drum and bass lines that are right. like really really heavy sounding. Um, I really give a shit less about what they're rapping about or whatever. But <laughs> Beatmaster says drop A. Yes. Um, I think we play in drop C. Or drop E, drop, I don't know, drop something. Lower than whatever was heavy like 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, so, but even that, I like, like, um, like I really like the band of Data Remember, which is basically heavy pop punk. I like okay. pop punk music too. I, I just, I, you know, I like really hooky choruses. Um, sure. So, yeah, it just, it depends on what mood I'm in. I got, I got, uh, more into rap late when i was younger i was like i was entry-level metal in yeah. in high school you know there was hair bands and then into grunge and then you know metallica sort of got more mainstream and and i was i was sort of that level of metal uh and i wasn't into rap and it was like later on i got into rap when i started running again and i needed a steady beat in my in my ears mm-hmm. and then I, the more i'm listening to it it's like you know public enemy is basically the same attitude as metal mm-hmm. like all of this like gangster rap is just metal on the other side of the coin and yep. it took me so long to realize that yep and once yeah. i did you know, oh yeah there's so much commonality there yeah I, I i never really like i never disliked rap um but i started listening to it more i got um shit it was probably like five years ago now but i met a buddy in chicago for a u.s soccer game and uh, i got into his car and he was listening to the first run the jewels album yeah, I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" And they like opened my eyes, and I'm like, "These guys are so fucking good." And it's it's heavy, you know, it's heavy sounding rap. And from there, you know, I just kind of like like I, I I really like Machine Gun Kelly, regardless of what he has going on with Eminem right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I in admittedly, I will say this to our seven listeners in middle school and my early years of high school, I really liked the Insane Clown Posse and Twisted. ICP. Uh, my second, my my first underage drinking was in a Riddle Box hockey jersey. Um, so on occasion I'll go back and listen to that, but I think that's more nostalgic than anything. Like I don't think their new music is good, but like they did the Riddle Box tour and it came to Green Bay and I went and I fucking had so much fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, so but that's the other thing is I can't remember who I was talking to about it, but we were um like I, I bought um. I started purchasing vinyl again just because I have a record yeah, I did player. Yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I like I like purchasing music and I like the large format and then the pretty color vinyls. I love 70s album art. Like uh just just seeing it on you know the vinyl record. Yeah. And getting the LP that is large format, you know, when I saw the the Layla uh the Derek and the Dominoes album in the size it was meant to be seen in for the first time. I was like, oh my God, no wonder this album cover is great. You know, like, yeah, yeah, that's a great thing about vinyl for me. Yeah. So, um, 
it, depending on what it is, like uh, I recently purchased Fear Factory's Obsolete record on like they released it on gold vinyl, like 180 gram or whatever. Now that album was one of the first albums that made me want to get a double bass pedal and learn how to play it well. Like they're super yeah. industrial and they're the dude, the drummer is fucking phenomenal. Um, so when they put it on vinyl, I'm like, well, I have to get it because of what that album was for me. But I still like, um, I recently purchased the new Groff Orlock, which I would shit my pants if you're familiar with them. I'm not. So they're a grindcore band, but they call them their cinema core. So every song starts with a movie sample and then the song is straight up lines out of that movie. Really? So their newest album is called um, The Examination of Violent Cinema Volume 1. And it is all action and violent films from the movie 2017. Huh. Yeah. That just sounds... That just... I want to check that out just yep. out of curiosity. Yep. You know so I mean, like... They have, like they have, that just sounds experimental and weird. It's it's super good. Um, so they have a handful of records. So the, the packaging on this one was... It comes in a black sleeve... And there's a an autopsy report inside of it, and then when you pull out the the vinyl, um, there's a cardboard piece, and it has a it's a dude's chest with like bullet holes and like scratches and shit, and then it has a perforated um, like autopsy marks that you have to like tear open, and then you slide out a rib cage, and then the record is inside the rib cage, dude. And it it is called Predator Blood Green. And it was only $15. What's the name of this album? Uh, The Examination of Violent Cinema, Volume 1. I'm writing that down. If you have... It's on... Like, all this shit's on Spotify if you just want to hear it. Uh, I'm kind of curious about that packaging, too. That just sounds... uh, That just sounds like something you have to experience. (laughs) It's only $16. Um, Here. I'll send you it in the chat. I'm going to... Cool. Case Beat wants to read it. Yes, Beat, you get a badge for never listening to Five Finger Death Punch. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, they're they like I'm the sure of this town because fuck, I don't know what the hell any of you people are talking about. I listened to Bon Jovi growing up. We listened to Bon Jovi. No, we listened to Van Halen at practice the other week. I was a huge Van Halen fan uh, in high school. Uh I saw Van Hagar up at uh, Alpine Valley. Uh, in Where do you live? Three or 94. I grew up in northern Illinois, but I live in south Florida now. Oh, we played in Rockford last night. I know it, I know right where Rockford <laughs> was, is. I grew well, up like a half hour from there. Excuse me. It was actually McChesney Park or McChesney. Okay. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. 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 All right, I, I just want to be clear. I wasn't a big Bon Jovi fan, although I like Richie. Uh, <laughs> I listened to a lot of like, I listened to Dokken. I like Warrant. I like I like the 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 not as popular bands, but I was still into the hair band stuff. Uh, but that's the thing is like, I think what you were talking about with the the different like what rap albums you like when you found out that oh wow this is like this. That's the whole point is that there can be in any genre that one thing that kind of breaks the mold and sure. brings something that's innovative or at least interesting to your tonal recognition that is compelling to you. It. it I was giving my uh, my ex's kid a ride over to where we're playing game, and he gets in the car, and I'm listening to My Chemical Romance. And I've made a secret that I listen to My Chemical Romance. He's like, why do you listen to this? I said, because it reminds me of the shit that I grew up with. 
it, it's like a new version of the bands that I listen to, like listening to Queen or listening to a lot of that kind of like bigger sounding heavy metal at that time or hair metal stuff at that time. And it just kind of anthem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really dig that. And like everything that they put out, I've liked uh, everything that Gerard Way has put out after I've liked. And, and some of it is that I'm continuing this journey that that band started me on, but I could pick almost any genre and stuff and find something into it, except for Matt's. I don't know what it is, but I <laughs> love Matt and I, appreciate exactly what it is that he's doing with his music and i think lyrically i like a lot of what they do and what it is is that it's like i don't have to love listening to that music to appreciate what matt does and what his band does or the people in it yeah and and like the rap that i listened to as a kid because i grew up in detroit the rap (laughs) i listened to was like houdini you know it was it was freaks come out at night it was uh jam on it it was a it was a lot of like uh, Roxanne, Roxanne, and all of a sudden the real Roxanne puts out a song, and it's the same goddamn people. But fucking, hey, go back and forth, break that shit up. And like, I don't think that I could have followed rap to where it went, but I still appreciate where it started from. And I'm sure that there's somewhere a rap artist or something that is doing stuff that I would probably like. I was listening to uh, Childish Gambino a couple weeks ago. I do because, really like his album. Yeah, um, I mean. There's a lot on those albums that I like a lot. And uh, I think Camp was the one or something that I was listening to. Because I found it from playing YouTube stuff. It's like I'm watching YouTube and like it leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. And all of a sudden I'm in a genre of music that is nothing like what I had listened to. But hey, this is actually kind of cool. Pandora was really great for that. Except every Pandora station would just inevitably turn into the Chili Peppers. It doesn't matter if you started with fucking Frank Sinatra. Like somehow Anthony Kiedis, I'm kicking it out with Flea at some point. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing to me? I just, I think that it's kind of terrible that we separate music into classes um, because it it loses the fact that it's, it's still musicians. It's still people making something that whether they have something to say or whether they're just doing it because they they think it's fun and, and poppy and easy to dance to or the inevitable. I'm just doing this to get sex. So it's okay. Some of my favorite shows to play back in the day were when almost every band was a different genre of music. Like we used to play with this band from Minneapolis called Johnny Rook and they're technically back again, but it was like acoustic, uh, acoustic rock um, in weird time signatures with like screaming vocals. And they're they're fucking phenomenal. Like it's out on in, on Spotify now. But uh, yeah, how that band never made it is is beyond me. But yeah, we used to play with them all the time, and our and our old band was the complete opposite of them, and it was still just fun because a they're your friends, and b you're gonna bring two different types of fans in. I was gonna say, what's that crowd look like, man? Dude, we <laughs> played one show. It and I I vividly remember this. It was in Buffalo, Minnesota. So we are technically Milwaukee. So. It was, it's like 45 minutes past Minneapolis. So it's like a six hour drive. We played for a half an hour, didn't get paid, turned around as soon as we got done playing and drove back because there was a blizzard coming that ultimately like shut down the state of Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, the, the show was, they, 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 it was, it was billed as um, broken hearted and was it broken hearted in the headbangers or something or like the, the headbangers and lovers some shit like that but you'd be surprised like how many people 
go to see a uh, like a, an acoustic band, and then they're like, "Hey, I actually really like what you guys do," and vice around. versa. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cool like that. But, that is cool. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'm a big uh, fan of Wilco, and right. you know, Wilco has spanned you know from playing more traditional country to more alternative and and just different sort of new age rock and but always off the beaten path a little bit so i made a wilco pandora station because it covers the most ground musically and i just get this huge swing of genres in this one station without hardly doing anything it it just sort of runs the gamut of wilco's career Mm -hmm. uh and i just like getting that kind of variety uh where i can just turn it on in the studio and just let it go all day yeah and and i think what I like about where digital music has taken us is the fact that it can give you that level of variety. You can have a, a station that's not just one genre of music. And, and I, I feel that's where music went wrong and why it's got gotten to such a low point is because it's like, here's this station that one only plays the same 10 to 20 songs in rotation over and over, mm-hmm. but two only plays them in a certain genre. And I enjoy more if I'm going to listen to terrestrial radio listening to a station that's either oldies or, you know, these days, the stuff that I grew up with is considered oldies because it will play through a whole bunch of different genres. And it's just like, well, they all happen in the eighties or they all happen in the nineties, but you get a lot more variety than you would on something that's just like, here's the five songs that are popular right this second. And you you have a lot of people that, um, they only like, I listen to heavy music. So I only listen to heavy music. Like, it's an odd callback to my past, but I dated a girl whose dad was like, if it's heavy, I like it. And he goes, the heavier it is, the more I like it. It's like, but but why? Like a buddy of mine, um, James in Kansas, we used to, so him and I got just unruly drunk one time and we're tweeting at Scott Stapp. So it became like this yeah. inside joke to like talk <laughs> about Creed and Scott Stapp or whatever. So him and I meet once a year in Indiana uh, for a beer release and he we we whatever i got in his car we're driving and he's like got daughtry on and i'm like dude what's going on and he goes i fucking give up he goes these are great songs and i'm like you know he what tried to like? hate he tried to hate it yeah he goes there are no guilty <laughs> yeah. pleasures there are just things you like right and he goes daughtry, That's kind of it yeah daughtry writes good music creed songs yeah they're fucking well-written songs with hooks and there's no like it makes sense why they are as famous as they are I'm like, you know, that's a really good way to look at it. And it's like, there are no guilty pleasures. You just like it or you don't. It's the, the the Nickelback thing is I've got a friend who really likes Nickelback and he's totally unashamed that he does. And I don't shame him for it. I, I tease no, I because think they're it's a terrible band. But if you like right. it, you like it. But if you like it, you like it. And plenty of people like it. it yeah. It's the, the Guy Fieri joke the comedian was talking about, like. People really fucking hate Guy Fieri. Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> like, I know people who work for him at his restaurant, so they have a reason to dislike him. Uh, but for the personality of like, this is a guy who goes around and actually does a lot for charity and stuff and, and tries to make people happy with food and just has a good time mm-hmm. feeding you, you know, shit stuffed into a cornflake. But hey, <laughs> if you like shit stuffed in cornflakes, he's go your for guy, it, man. Yeah. yeah. I used to know a guy who was like, this huge Pantera fan. And that was all he would listen to. And he found out I like Johnny Cash and he thought it was, he's like, Oh God, that's, and I go, everybody likes Johnny. How do you not like Johnny Cash? Like I bet everybody Pantera like Johnny Cash. That's what, that's what I told him. I go, (laughs) I guarantee you the band members of Pantera of, of any gangster rapper you can dig up. 
they everybody loves Johnny Cash. He was the original rebel in rock and roll. You know, that picture of him giving the finger, everything about him was incredible. And if you just I can't just imagine just living in a box where you just go, I only like this and I only like this brand of it. And I can't step out of that even to explore whether I guarantee he never even listened to Johnny Cash, you know, to know that he didn't like it. Yeah. So it was really strange. It's really strange when someone decides uh, this is the box I choose and I'm not straying from that. And I don't don't want them to ever step outside of this box of thing they do. There was um... just just so people know, Living in a Box was not a song by Johnny Cash. It was a song by a band called Living in a Box (laughs) off an album called Living in a Box. Uh, and it was about living in a box. So, Beat Beat said that he heard Pantera was a country band before they went metal. They were actually a hair metal band before they went straight whatever metal. You <laughs> and want they had so much shame about being a hair metal band that they just decided to tell everybody they were a country band. Cowboys from Although, Hell was not a country song. A no. Of, <laughs> by the way, a lot of country bands in the '90s were hair metal bands. Yeah, they just point. They had more twang. They had a steel guitar. Involved. They watered it down. Yeah. yeah. Back to uh, Megadeth, there was the time, and I'm, I don't remember exactly if I remember who the guitarist was, but uh, there was a, a member of Megadeth in Dave Mustaine's band who was learning from the guy from the Stray Cats, from Brian Seltzer. Oh, Brian Seltzer. He's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And Dave Mustaine was like going off and saying some bullshit about Brian Setzer's playing. Now, Brian Setzer taught at uh, the Guitar Institute at uh, Musicians Institute of California. Uh, very talented musician, but he played that Stray Cat sound. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Dave, Dave Mustaine just had nothing but insulting things to say. And the, the guy interviewing him said, yeah, but I think Marty Freeman, if I'm remembering that a musician who was in the, who's in Megadeth, yeah. he's studying under Brian Setzer. Mm-hmm. And Dave's mm-hmm. just like, well, I don't hear any Brian Setzer shit in his playing, so fuck it. I don't care, and because that's Mustaine. That that's who he is. Yeah, he's a, a dick. Fucking dumbass. But so <laughs> much stuff you can learn from someone who does things differently, because that's how you integrate and progress in your style. I also have a Brian Setzer Pandora channel because he has also played in several genres, and yeah. that you get everything from like big band all the way through, like. Yeah. Uh, alt country today with with his station too because but think that about, guy's crazy talented. Think yeah. about like uh, Hank Williams the third. Oh yeah, he has a yeah. fucking country album. He has a metal album. I mean that guy does everything. So he's the Taylor Swift of people <laughs> who are not <laughs> Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm waiting hardcore rap Taylor Swift album. It's coming. I'm you know it's sure. gonna and it's all gonna be about beef with Katy Perry. I don't give a fuck. I'm on that team Tay Tay. I would I would watch. <laughs> A lesbian sex video with Taylor Swift and Katy Perry. You are alone. You're the only person on the internet who's looked that up. I didn't say I looked it up. I said I would watch it if it existed. Stay out of my search history course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Katy Perry needs to grow her hair back out, though. Get your shit together, Katy. No, they just need to stop writing songs that are about themselves or or like specifically about their beefs with each other. And get back to making music. It, the last couple of Corey, albums from them have Corey, been bullshit. If you repeatedly got checks in the mail for writing shitty songs, complaining about the same fucking people, would if I could, if someone was like, "Hey, I will give you a ten million dollar check if you just complain about this one person for the rest of your life," they're going to complain about you. But that's what I'm saying is that it's it, it it's detrimental to them because they're both capable of being better 
singers and and having better songs. Do you, and so going to this, it means that they can only go so far where they argue with each other that you just get bored of it and you're like, yeah, fuck Taylor, you've been pissed off at Kanye. Do, you've been but, pissed off at Kim. You've been pissed off at everybody. Do you think it's like pro wrestling where they're really just all best friends? Probably. Yeah. The, the frenemy thing is really popular in, in the Hollywood stuff. But yeah. I just... there's We were driving over to my parents' place today and a Taylor Swift song was on the You Belong With Me, like early Taylor Swift. And I, I just started quoting lyrics to my wife, and she's like, how do you know this? How do you know Taylor Swift stuff? I'm like, because I've heard it. You know, it, it's really easy to know, and it's not a bad song. And she's like, I know the song about Starbucks. I said, that's really not about Starbucks. And I quote her to the actual line from it, and she's like, well, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm like, it actually makes more sense. But she got to a point where the songs were all about being the person that the the rumor mills and everything were saying she was. And I guess that's taking ownership to a certain degree. But then the next album was like, look what you made me do and swish, swish, bitch. And it's like, those songs are terrible. You can't sing along to them. So you're just listening to them to choose a side. But that seems really short-sighted. It, it's like, if it was just going to the movies and the movies... Delegated into, uh, well, we're the Avengers and we're so much cooler than the Justice League as opposed to actually telling a story. It's like, here's how the Justice League is shit. And then the Justice League movie comes out and it's like, well, here's where the Avengers are full of crap and everything. And we're way cooler. Who would watch those movies? Well, she came out with Swish, 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 Bitch. And then I know for a fact she sold out two consecutive nights at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. So of course she did. I think she's laughing at you. And now she has a special on Netflix. Well, with that in mind, I would like to announce the Brokebot Mountain Podcast of Terror rivalry that is <laughs> yes! right now. Yes. <laughs> We've needed a good rivalry. Yeah. Yeah, it's I been a long that's... time since someone gave us uh, hate on Twitter. So <laughs> I was really unaware of this whole East Coast, West Coast. Uh, uh, that's true. Girl group kind of thing. But Katy uh, Perry, obviously the Biggie Smalls. And uh, Taylor Swift <laughs> she's is, the is the Tupac. Uh, she's been reported dead for 10 years. That was, and her latest album is that Taylor is dead. And so <laughs> she, she's Tupac. All right, then. That's, that's one good way to look at it, I guess. Oh, but. Who do you think's get, who, who's going to get shot first? Uh, I don't, I think they're both going to get shot. And I think it, it's, it's going to be. Cardi B. No, the correct answer is they're women. They're going to get confused trying to operate a gun and go back to make a ham sandwich. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I'm sorry. I had to. It was, it was a fucking softball. Yeah, but you know, the problem is that ham sandwich that is going to get right? beef from the turkey industry and Butterball is going to come out from a hardcore. And a... No. You can't say got beef when it's turkey against ham. Well, depending on where you <laughs> purchase that meat, it, yeah, it could be beef. Lips and assholes. Mm. Tasty hot dog meat. Yeah. So we should probably talk about the descent. We don't have to, but it, you know, it might be. There. I think the descent is the name of what this conversation happened. <laughs> it was uh yeah, the uh, spiral spiral around the toilet bowl is I think so what this around. conversation just turned into. So but, far, uh, I've had a shitload of fun. So it's been a good time. Yeah. yeah. I'm almost so Phil. Out of beer, I do want to. Yeah. So I'm gonna. Phil, I want to say more. that. You came into the the episode uh, recommending The Descent for the movie we're going to watch this week. I have said numerous times on this podcast that The Descent is the movie that I was not looking forward to doing 
Um, I had no idea that. I swear I, to God. <laughs> I, I thank you for listening. <laughs> I didn't say I've listened to every episode. I, yeah, me neither. Literally. So it's fine. So this is the throwdown. This is the throwdown between the two podcasts. Uh, I am deeply neurotically claustrophobic um, to the point where I, I was at a I was at dinner with a couple of friends uh, a few years ago, and they were talking about they went cave diving and were crawling through a space where the guy had to hold his breath and suck in his chest as best as he could because there wasn't enough room to get through. And I started to have a breakdown and had to go outside because I just couldn't not picture it. My brain just kept pushing onto it and stuff. And I couldn't crawl underneath my house to, to clear a dead raccoon out from underneath there. It makes no sense. Uh, realistically, I can logically say I'll be okay. I just can't do it. Um, oh, I and, understand anxiety really well. It's not about knowing that you'll be okay. It's yeah. about this thing you can't control in your brain that, that mm. breaks you down. Uh -huh. I, I couldn't keep my job with um, with the uh, retailer electronics store that I used to do installations for because they wanted to move us more over to home theater from computers. And home theaters sometimes have to crawl through crawl spaces sure. and attics. And I'm like, well... I could lie to you and say it's going to be okay until you have to get some psychiatrist to come out and talk me down. Uh, or I could tell you up front now, I can't do that work. And so, well, then you can't work for the company anymore. Great. Well, you told that story about the guy cave diving. And that was my initial connection to this movie is uh, my brother-in-law and my sister went, uh, went cave exploring. And that happened to my brother-in-law. He was crawling through a tunnel and he got stuck and had to do that same thing. He had to, to hold his breath. He had to suck in just so they could pull him through. And then a couple of years later, this movie came out and he auctioned on eBay the chance to take him to this movie and watch him have a break. <laughs> and his best friend won it and watched him. And he said, uh, I checked with him this morning. I said, is it, is it cool if I tell this story and am I getting it right? And he said, yeah. And he said, uh, he said the part where she gets stuck, the, the mm -hmm. woman gets stuck in, in the tunnel. He said, I was sweaty. I was freaking out during that. Then the cannibal cave monster showed up. I was fine. Like, right. was, yeah. like for me, but for me, like that was the point of this movie is that is the, without the monsters, this is a anxiety ridden movie. Like yeah. this is a scary movie. It's, it's a more anxiety inducing movie than something like 127 hours where you actually watch a man gnaw his arm off. Like that's ah, movie magic. This, this movie put it over the top before uh, Gollum even showed up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I don't buy into 127 hours because nobody wants uh, Dave Franco in their mouth. Uh, so, or James Franco, Dave Franco, maybe a little bit. Either Franco. No one wants any Franco in their mouth. Yeah. Franco American. So I, <laughs> I have, my wife owns the descent and the descent to, she, she has our Comcast and we moved out here. We had to get her Comcast stuff all realigned so that we could get all the movies that she's bought on there, even though I told her not to. And so I, I was, I knew. Typical woman. Not I knew what this movie was going into it. She's watched it enough times and I've wandered through the room and wandered right the fuck back out of it so many times. But 
I haven't really paid enough attention to the plot up until having to watch it last night. And so one of the things that w- works really well in, in what we're talking about of the, the being caught in the caves and everything is that when you do something like that, when you go cave exploring and you're in a team of people, you have to have absolute trust in one another. And sure. this, the lead into this is that they go to these caves under the false pretense of it's a certain caves that have already been explored that it's like, oh, this is going to go be a good time. But the person who they put all their trust in sets them up because they're not the ones that are explored. It's a completely different cave. She lies to them and, and she does it on the premise of like, oh, I thought it would be really exciting, but she didn't give them the, the choice to make. They, it's just like, yeah, we're doing this other thing instead, but they have to find out in the process of already being trapped in there that it's the wrong place. Well, and to be so, fair, it was really exciting. Well, yeah, exactly. She wasn't wrong. Like, <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I've never been the adventure sort who like goes and wants to do crazy stuff. I haven't gone skydiving. I would, well, when I was younger, I probably would have. Um, and I'm very afraid of heights, but for some reason it's, it seems controlled enough. Um, but this this like, oh, I want to go whitewater rafting. I want to go do this deadly thing. I want to drink snake venom or all these other things. Like, I'm not really into that. I like not being in pain. Uh, not dying is cool with me. I Yeah, but, but, but getting too comfortable with being comfortable isn't always good. Sometimes you got to put a toothbrush in your asshole to make sure you're alive. Well, is it equipped? Because you change the brush heads every three months anyways. <laughs> This is a uh, podcast that has to be a quip. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, and and we review horror movies, and a lot of people think it's weird to like horror movies because they don't like being scared. So I guess this is my halfway point, is I'm okay being scared if I can also turn well, off the fucking TV and walk away from it. everyone has a limit, no matter if well, you're yeah. into the genre or not, you know? The other thing is, is like, you know, going back to the whole music conversation is horror and metal are so closely tied that... Horror movies has been something that I have been doing for so much of my life that even if I didn't do this, I would still be watching a lot of these movies. You know, that like this, obviously, this is oddly, this is the first time I've seen The Descent. Um, as I told Corey before you got here, I didn't quite get what all the, the fuss was about, but I didn't get like, I don't have issues with claustrophobia. I was stuck in a cave. Not me. Someone else got stuck in the entrance, and I just sat there. And I was, I was, I was, I was young. I was young enough that I could sit upright without hitting my head. But I just remember sitting there, and my dad's friend being like, "Hey guys, I'm really wedged in here." And then it's just sitting there while they wiggled him out. So like that didn't adversely affect me. I continued to go down the rest of the cave with a couple other people before we got back out. Um, I did want to make a joke about how I, I, I built a fort and put a gimp suit on to watch this movie and it still didn't bother me. But <laughs> I could see how if you had issues with claustrophobia, um, how this could be really confining feeling, you know. But the biggest thing I took away, and I mentioned this to Corey before you, you came on also, was um, the use of like night vision to see. And I wanted to see if... Because like video games like Outlast, where you you know have to use your cell phone or you use a camera with the night vision to be able to see in certain areas, I was I was curious which came first, and I, it, the Descent came out before a lot of those games did, so I think the game stole it from this movie. But it's a, it's a cool concept to be like, well, you're in pitch black, how do you see? 
Right. You know, another con- another thing we've talked about is um, in like the Blair Witch, uh, the original, where it's like, well, how do you explain that you're always pointing a camera where you're looking? And in the new one, they made glasses with cameras on them. So it was like, no matter where the person was looking, um, you could tell. And there was an explanation as to why it was being recorded. So I liked that they used like a functional use of a camera in the night vision to explain how they could see in the dark. Yeah, I thought that worked really well, mm-hmm. uh, too. And it also get there's a thing about found footage. I don't like shaky cam. Like I love Cloverfield, but the shaky cam is too much. Yeah. Um, but like, I think the thing about found footage that everybody likes is it's relatable. Like we all have watched home movies through yep. camcorders or through our phones. We know what they look like. So when we watch somebody else's phone movie or camcorder movie, we go, oh, okay, this this could be real. Like I've seen through this lens before. Not everybody's seen through a ten thousand dollar motion mm-hmm. picture camera, you so, know. But we're used to watching things through that media, and I think it really, it really solidifies it with our reality in that way, and it makes it it sort of makes the wall a little bit thinner. So it instant. So what you're saying is it instantly feels more real to be found sure. footage versus. You know, a, a, I don't even know how you would say it, a scripted? Uh, yeah, um, a traditional, traditional kind of yeah. camera uh, uh, shoot. But yeah, but I do like that it wasn't all found footage, that they just sort of t- check in with the with the camcorder to show you what's going on. Yep. And in those moments, it feels like, like when the one is like right up on her, kind of sniffing around the lens. It doesn't feel like a found footage film. Right. It just, like you said, it just once in a while takes that aspect of the camera. Now, I'm certain if this movie came out now, it would be 100% found footage. I think so. There's Um, no way they wouldn't do it like that. I I feel like every horror movie that comes out now, the first thing they probably say is, can we do this as a found footage movie? Because, But they're going to have to find the new thing to do. I know it's already gotten old. I feel yeah. like when paranormal activity movies were coming out, paranormal was, uh, VHS slash wreck. Um, yeah. Um, field, like you mentioned, I'm, Blair, Witch. Uh, Blair, Witch. Uh, uh, was you know, kind of started all of that. But stuff. then again, you know, um, did you see unfriended at all? No. Okay. So that's where it's like the recorded, uh, computer screens. Okay. So you're you're just seeing like a computer screen recording and that's the whole movie. So if you see someone it's because their their webcam is on. Oh, okay. It, They're and, all group chatting in Facebook or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah, so there's Unfriended and then um shit, there's another one that's really similar. But Unfriended isn't bad. Unfriended 2 is pretty decent. Um Well, Matt, you had me watch very early on in the show there was that that sh- movie where the woman was like Gary had us watch it. That was Megan is missing. Uh, but there no, was one that you had to watch, one. I think, before that that was like unfriended. But it was a woman who was a reporter or something, and there was somebody who was in the apartment with her, and then she gets kidnapped at the end. But it was a lot like found footage or computer webcam captures and stuff. And then I think they broadcast them killing her on the internet. I'm looking. At the end, I can't remember the name of it. But I know. Was, it, was that quarantine? Was it? What was the no, one? Quarantine? No, quarantine was like a that was a found footage too, right? It was more like it was a news footage thing, okay. like it. But a lot of the found footage stuff, like Cloverfield, is like at some point you feel like the person would put the camera down. This right. was more computer cameras, webcams, were things that were capturing stuff, 
Um, that's that was the other movie I was trying to think of is that one, and I can't think of the fucking name. I'm, yeah, I can't I'm remember either. Looking at, I don't remember if we reviewed it for the show or not, but it would have been very early into us doing the show that you had first recommended it to me. Um, always watching. No, 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 no always no. watching was the yep. Slenderman one. Yep. Yeah, I don't know, but the found footage thing, I think, is is schlocky. And Beatmaster saying only Blair Witch cracked the code. I think the way that cracked the code was being the first one. Yep. It it didn't tell people what it was. It made you believe that you were seeing something that was actually real, and it was a documentary. They, right. they pitched it so well that for the first moviegoers, at least, they had no idea that they were seeing something that was fictional. I was After trying that, to explain to my 18 year old son that there was a whole marketing thing that he like think I think he finally saw Blair Witch at, at a friend's house. And he was like, eh, it wasn't that big a deal. I go, you have to know at the time, there were people who questioned whether or not it was real. It was right. marketed like it was a real found, like genuinely found footage. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I think it's one of those things like if you weren't there, there's a there's a piece of that puzzle missing to to what the magic of that movie was. Yeah, there, there's something great about being first and something. And that's to, to go back to the earlier thing of remakes versus uh stolen jokes and stuff that that's the problem with remakes is that there's no surprises anymore mm-hmm. and all you're doing is if you're if you've experienced the first film is comparing that first film to the new film or the numerous copies of that first film that have happened between then and then uh we had talked about we did uh unbreakable and split last week in anticipation of glass coming out this week now i haven't seen glass yet matt hasn't seen glass yet but the expectation from us is that unless Chameleon has learned a lot in his filmmaking and his storytelling from the 19 years ago since Unbreakable came out, it's going to come across as pretty trite and been there, done that. And that sounds like a lot of the reactions are saying that exactly. That's what I've heard, too. It's it's not, he, he didn't do anything to prove it. And it's not necessarily his fault if that movie had come out in 2001, two years after the first one, people would have probably reacted to it differently. But 20 years later, it's it's not going to be looked at as innovative anymore because we've had so many other things that have done it and done it better because we had the time to improve and to learn from what Unbreakable did. You know, So it gets the, the chance to say, oh, I was the in- innovator that did this very early on when, unfortunately, we had the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. But now it's like we've had... Captain America Civil War. Right. You know, we've had Wonder Woman. We've had a we've lot seen of superhero deconstruction. We have the Watchmen, you know, adaptation, right. which shortcomings as it is, that's a superhero deconstruction. You know, yeah. like I mean it it was the superhero deconstruction in comics that, you know, things like Unbreakable and stuff were drawing from to do what they were doing on film. Right. But then we have the comics come out. And I think that was also it's like every time a uh a movie came out that was basically like by the time we get John Carter of Mars, the movie, Ugh, it's man. all these other films and stuff have happened that ripped off John Carter of Mars in the books so that John Carter of Mars in a movie doesn't hold up anymore. Right. Because it's like, oh, I've seen that, seen that, seen that. And I, I was mentioning them at like if they did a, a fourth Matrix movie, you know, next month or something. And it still tried to be the first Matrix. I mean, one, good if it could be the first Matrix as opposed to the two sequels. But even by the time the sequels started coming out, we'd already seen bullet time happen in every other thing. 
so it wasn't exciting anymore. And they oh, didn't the third Matrix to... movie is almost a parody of itself. Like, right. It, 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 it was already so played by the time they got there that yeah, it's like I mean, you, it's you have to jump on it while it's hot, but you also have to accept that it's not going to be hot anymore by the second time you do it. David and I did uh, Speed Racer on Brokebot. Oh yeah, uh, last year, and we talked a lot about the Wachowskis and how just uneven their whole film career was and they came out on fire with the matrix and then it's almost like they took the wrong things to make their style out of you know they took bullet time they took the weird backgrounds and and the things that really made the matrix great uh sort of got left behind a lot of times and and it just led to a really uneven sort of career for them well it's funny we didn't even talk about it but the matrix itself was a a deconstructed superhero origin story like Unbreakable was. You know, yeah. it was done very differently. And and so their style is what stands out to people's minds, but they did the Matrix to make superhero movies. Well, they did the they did the, the monomyth from Joseph Campbell. They did the yeah. you know, the whole hero's journey kind of thing that was Luke Skywalker, that was uh uh Frodo Baggins. It was all of these old stories just put in this new setting, is really all the Matrix is. Yeah, but the Wachowskis, by the time you get to uh, Sense8 and stuff, yeah. you could see that their storytelling had grown. It had changed. It wasn't the same thing done over and over again. And I think Jamalin is the same thing kind of over and over again. And I think he's still in that same frame of mind as he was at the beginning, or he thinks that people are okay to go back to that frame of mind. And I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's good or bad it's it's cool to be true to your original vision but 20 years later do people have the same interest in that vision but it this show, is it shows a lack of growth as an artist i think is right you know um i i know artists who draw the same today as they did the day that i met them and found their work and it's almost like you have to really try to not grow to not you know change your style at all you almost have to try to stay that stagnant and if that's what you want to do you know good on you for for doing that i just it seems like a lot more effort to stay put than than to actually take it down the path you know what i mean well the industries love to see something succeed so they want to play it safe and stick to that same thing again and sometimes the audiences react positively to it I don't know if I made the comment last week. I know I joked about Bon Jovi earlier. Bon Jovi's New Jersey album was the exact same album as Slippery When Wet. The songs followed the same progressions. Like, here's where the, the big anthem song is on the first side. Here we lead into the 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 poppy, like, uh, Born to Be My Baby right. is, you know, a series to work on the docks. All these things, like, it just progressed the same way. Uh, Striper's... Um, to Hell with the Devil led into In God We Trust, and it was the exact same album again, and, and that same thing. And I think that was very likely the not the bands wanting to do that, it was the producers wanting to do that, it was the record companies telling them to do that. Because, hey, this album worked really great, and so the next album should be the same thing. And a lot of audiences, like, it's not like anybody was sitting there not buying New Jersey by Bon Jovi. That album may have been even bigger than Slippery When Wet. Uh, I know that In God We Trust was not as big as To Hell with the Devil. There could also be a lot of stuff that people just weren't as forgiving of, like, here's a hair metal band talking about Jesus. I just, I know that the sophistication of the audience is sometimes 
underestimated by movie production companies, by directors, by storytellers. If I can just tell the same thing again and again and again, then I at least have an audience who liked that thing. And I could probably keep the, a percentage of the fans enough to keep me employed forever. But I don't think that that's usually what artists want. Artists want to be all over the place, but it's dangerous. We talked about this with uh, JF DeBow when he was on a, a month or so ago. Like he is a person who got really popular doing a horror novel, um, but had already done a sci-fi novel, but switching yeah. genres is not beneficial to him as a writer because people are waiting for him to do the sequel to that horror novel that they liked. And he's like, well, but I have this other thing that I want to do too. And I'm enough of an artist that I can accomplish both these sure. things and do them, I think, pretty well. But that's not what the audience is saying that they want from him. And that's difficult because you should be able to follow your muse wherever she goes. Uh, and to have that choice taken away from you because you want to have fans or you want to have an income, which is, of course, abhorrent to an artist. Uh, I don't want to sell out. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to walk that line. Um, but then Matt plays drums in a band that nobody sings in. Nope. <laughs> nobody sings uh, legibly. Right. Can that be? Can that term be used here? <sighs> but would you feel good, like, if your next album sounded just like your last album? I know that you you do plays off of like where the the names of the albums and stuff kind of tease into each other and everything, um... but. Well, I mean, we've had the discussion about, uh, <clears throat> like, the next group of songs we wrote sounded different, but not the same, so we decided to start rewriting. And we have a problem where we write a bunch of music, and we're like, it's not good enough, start over. Um, but, I mean, so, uh, to your point, this band and the last band are four-fifths of the same people, but they sound like two very different bands. And we did that on purpose. It's like we if did. the Beatles were still doing I Want to Hold Your Hand eight years yeah. in, do you think they would be considered the band that they are today, the the legends, the innovators of everything? Or would it just be like, yeah, that was really great, but, you know, let's get on with the hand-holding, John. You know, was, I know that yeah, you've been doing yeah. darker stuff with Yoko than that. Let's do some I, heavy I petting. Like the early, that early Beatles stuff, honestly, like... It's fun. It's what it is. But like, the, yeah, the Beatles are only great because of the the last handful of albums they did, where they were grew their hair long and they were like, "Yeah, let's put on these weird jackets and pretend to be another band." You know. But and, see, I'm I'm the opposite. I like the earlier stuff way more. You know, when they get to like, I can't really listen to the White Album and think that that's. I'm sure it's very innovative, innovative and everything, but it's not something that I enjoy listening to. That that's. But it's cool that they did it. No, but I love Sgt. Pepper's, you know, like the right. White Album isn't my jam either necessarily, but Abbey Road, Sgt. Pepper, you know, like those, uh, even Let It Be is a, is a good be. album. It has high high points to it, but um, the early stuff is fun, but I, I, I think they really had balls to abandon where they were making all their money and go, let's experiment and let's do this. And I, whether you like the White Album or not, I think you have to respect that you, that, that they did it. You know what I mean? It's yeah, called well, acid. That yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when Van Halen lost or, or got rid of David Lee Roth and they went on with Sammy Hagar, their sound obviously progressed and changed. They, it didn't hurt them in sales as many people who were David purists 
uh, wanted it to. Uh, it, it didn't exactly uh, click when they had uh, Gary Shroni from Extreme. From Extreme, yeah. As, as the singer in the band, that was a one album off only thing. Um, it's like that's about yeah, when I got off the train too. You can reinvent yourself once, but you can't do it twice. And Gary Shroni, obviously very talented guy i love extreme way more than i've ever loved van halen um but was not what i wanted to listen to in that junction it it, i didn't really listen to that album i don't think i've ever really listened to that album i heard the the one song from it and kind of went all right i tried here and there to pick it up and i just can't do it but there's there's surviving a turmoil and reinventing yourself from it there's there's coming out again there's like hey bon scott died uh, and so ACDC shouldn't have to go away because they lost their singer. And then we have years and years of amazing music from them with a different singer and good, you know, that, oh, yeah, yeah. that. but obviously, you know, you, you take Vince Neil gets kicked out of Motley Crue and, you know, you replace him with the singer and do who look holiday and nobody tank takes it. They're just like, this sucks. Well, I think that also has to do with the fact that, you know, that stuff happened on the downward slide of, of some bands. Whereas, yeah, you, you know, Van Halen was not on top of the world by the time Gary Sharoni came in, uh, by the time Vince Neil left Motley Crue, they weren't really ruling, uh, the sunset strip anymore, but you know, someone like ACDC was sort of, they were cresting the mountain when Bon Scott died and they yeah. were just sort of like, we're still, I mean, Bon Scott, everybody loved Bon Scott, but that's a guitar-driven band. And if you get the right person in there, it's still a guitar-driven... You know, it was very much the same band, even though the singer sounded quite a bit different than Bon Scott, actually. Um, Brian Johnson came in yeah, with a little different vibe. But it was still... Ang- I think it's always been Angus's band. So I think, I think that's kind of the exception to the rule because as long as Angus and, and Malcolm were your constants in there, like... AC well, then, can kind then of touring do. with Axl Rose and stuff kind of shows that they can still have success even beyond. The, uh, but at the same time, you look at Bon Jovi did continue on for years past when their prime of music kind of went away when everything, when they pulled the, the warrant um, cherry pie poster down and they put up, um, who was it? Uh, Lane Stanley their band um oh, Alice in Chains Alice in Chains they put up their poster in the in the record office instead they're like oh shit we we just lost relevance but some of the the bands did continue to have success even if it was quieter or not as much radio play that stuck together and, and stuck it out and stayed true sure. to whatever they were doing i i do agree that yeah part of it is timing but i think also part of it is just is your audience in it for the people? Is it are they in it for the sound? Can you do a lot of different things? People were very into what the Beatles were doing, and as the Beatles progressed and changed their sound and changed their sound and changed their sound again, it was still the Beatles. Right. If they had tried to do another album past that, and it's like, yeah, well, we got rid of George, but we're we're bringing in Eric Clapton. Right. Would people have loved the Beatles still and that new incarnation as talented as Clapton obviously is and as much as he played with them on some of their stuff, it would have been a very different thing and the change of sound and the change of band members probably could have killed them anyways. I think they were smart to split. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's maintaining sound, there's the relevance thing. I saw Tom Petty right before he died 
you know, and Tom Petty was not his new music was not getting play for for years, but I'm still a giant Tom Petty fan and uh, and loved. I went to his 40th anniversary concert and that place was packed out, man. The fans stayed with him for all of the great music that sort of blew up that we all grew up with kind of thing. You know what I mean? So there's a nostalgia aspect to why some of those bands kind of hang on and and ma- maintain a little bit of rev- uh, relevance. Yeah, I can speak. <laughs> I mean, we've got Kiss, who doesn't do anything new. Like, every album sounds like the last 20 albums. Uh, and they've certainly gone through their, their lineup changes in the bands and stuff, even though they're pretending that they're still the same original band. But how many people like Kiss because they write good music versus they like Kiss because it's a fucking right. show? Kiss has always been about the show. Exactly. It doesn't matter who is in there. It could be a Kiss tribute band. I think Kiss has always been garbage music that has been produced uh, a, a great stage show, and that's, knew that's really the draw of it. Gene oh, they, Simmons they knew. absolutely know it. Yep. Yeah, and and you know what? Play to your strengths. But they did go through the the phase of like taking off the theatrical makeup and being. And how did the, that go for them? Yeah, and then they really put well, it right back actually. <laughs> That's the problem is that it went really well. And I'm talking about a point in time when Vinnie Vincent was on the band, so it's not like they were pretty. It they just like, hey, we're we're kiss. Man, you you can listen to rat, you can listen to all these other motherfuckers, but they all come from us. You know, we yeah. own this shit. And so if if you guys like they never not wore makeup. Kiss went from the theatrical makeup to wearing the the pretty glam makeup of the hair metal stuff to wearing cover-up because they were now 90 and still trying to look like they were 40 <laughs> up on stage. And then they had to get back to theatrics because you can only take on so much cover-up before it bring doesn't do it for you. We want the cat! Yeah, it's like, <laughs> we'll bring, Nick, we'll bring it back, but it's not Peter Chris. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I think it's it's funny because it is like, what are you into? What do you want? And and what is it that clicks for you? Jeff Lynne did a new album uh, last year, the year before, and I've always been an ELO fan, and I will listen to the fucking everything that he does. And it was a good album. It wasn't like mind blowingly good because it's the same kind of stuff, but it was good, you know. And right. don't change, Jeff Lynne. Please keep being the guy that you've been, and please keep making the music that you made because yeah, that's I love the that Tom shit. Petty parallel right there is Jeff Lynn. You know, yeah. do, does the same kind of thing all through the career and it and it just there's some longevity to that. Yeah. Uh, Beats asking about the time Kiss went without makeup. You two may know much better than I do, but yeah, they each did uh solo well the solo no, the, the solo they still the, the makeup. It was when they came back they did like one album. They, well, on. they did Unmasked. There was yep. a number of albums where Kiss didn't have makeup. Was it? There was they, a, they looked like shoe leather the entire time. Oh, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> one of Kiss's biggest hits from the early late 80s, early 90s was a song called Forever. And it was co-written with Michael Bolton. So it, it's not like they were the coolest band in the world. I don't it, know, man. It's just, he did that song with Lonely Island. That's a fucking banger. That is a... <laughs> It's got a hook, man. It has a hook. It's got a hook, and it's got super awesome drum and bass. So it is. It's right up there with uh, David Hasselhoff's "True Survivor." Well, it's like you've never heard that song. Doing the song Deadpool soundtrack. Yeah, it's you take something that's not cool and you make it super cool by associating with this one thing. 
and and showing off how not cool it is. But I think, uh, kind of going to Corey's point, I think at, to, at some point, they all kind of need to understand the joke behind them. Like, yes, Celine Dion had a very long and illustrious music career in her whole Las Vegas stint, but she, you could still make a fuckload of money by being in on a joke. You yeah. know, same thing with with uh, Michael Bolton and that Lonely Island song. Oh, Mike, yeah, Michael Bolton leaned into that. Exactly. You know? And it's like, you know what? You've had this very long, great music career. People love you. But it's like you could make even more money if you're in on this one joke. And Have you he, seen the Office Face video he did where he plays, uh, you know, in Office Space, there's a character named Michael Bolton. Yep. yep right. Yep. And they keep confusing him for this. Thing, and, and it's him sitting in. The place of Michael Bolton, and they reshot. The oh, scene. it's a funnier die video. Okay, and he, yeah, he's like uh, <laughs> instead of saying like that no talent ass clown, he's like, oh, that extremely talented uh, singer. You know, like he's like complimenting himself at every turn, and uh, it's it's really funny. But it's it's funny because it's Michael Bolton leaning into that, and yeah. and under you know he's laughing at Office Space, which is tearing him down. So it's yeah, it's really. Uh, I don't well, know. It, a, ma- it makes everybody think, oh, he's he, whatever you think of Michael Bolton's music. You go, he's at least laughing at it. He's he's yeah. a good guy. Yep. And, and I'm he, super fucking rich. So make fun of me all you want. That's sure, the Nickelback. Right. Yeah. That, it's like, hey, yeah, you're right. Uh, I probably suck. Also, I had a lot of sex with Avril Lavigne. So eat that dick. <laughs> But there's there's also there's the nostalgia thing. It's like seeing uh, Macaulay Culkin do Kevin from Home Alone in the new Google commercial, right? Where it, it's uh, I just automatically have all the the things go back and forth and so I I get that, but there is something to just being able to say, okay, I'll be silly. Adam West, Adam West. Oh yes, was, for years it couldn't Adam get us the best to, at it. Yeah, he couldn't get his career to do anything because he was only known for playing Batman, even though he'd done a lot of other stuff. But it was like his overacting stuff didn't work in any other context because we were all like, but you're Batman until Family Guy happens or William Shatner being Kirk, but managing to do T.J. Hooker that nobody remembers. But then years later, coming back and playing that kind of like stupefyingly stunted dialogue guy on Boston Legal and being brilliant in that role. Like, that that's kind of cool because it allows them to be past what people made fun of them for and bank on it. Because, yeah, we made fun of you, but we made fun of you because we loved you, too. Well, your options are to either lean into it like that or to wait for Quentin Tarantino to cast you in something uh when when you're you know 20 years on from that and go uh oh, reinvent yourself uh travolta or uh Carradine or anyone else that he he drags out of retirement to come sort of breathe life into their career again the the mtv video award thing where they had epstein and horseshack and washington <laughs> in the car from pulp fiction is still one of my favorite things in the world it was just, it was such a genius move because really all of those guys deserve to come back as much as Travolta did. MTV used to do some great uh, short films on their on their movie shows, on their movie awards. They, I think they did some just brilliant parody on there. Yeah. But, they but still that, cared. 
Well, well yeah. no, but it's also the same thing of the leaning in. Like Tom Cruise yeah. did that thing for Mission Impossible 2 with Ben, with ben Stiller, Stiller yes. where Ben Stiller was supposed to be playing his stunt double. And the fact that Tom Cruise, the most successful actor in the world at that point in time, uh, still, and, and it's not like he's a slouch now, could accept that people were going to make fun of him and could play a parody of himself. And then years later, like when people are kind of like, oh, maybe I'm not in Tom Cruise right now. He's kind of fucked up, that old Katie Holmes jumping on the couch thing. But then he plays that character um, in the, the movie where he's like the agent and he's oh, all done uh, up in the makeup Trop- and stuff. Tropic Thunder. Yeah. yeah, Tropic Thunder. Like that's a guy who is so talented and so smart at what the audience will and won't accept from him that he can just like, he can do it all. Yeah. You know, he can be taken very seriously and stuff, even though, you know, he's standing on a crate most of the time and he can be very silly with it or just like, yeah, make fun of me. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm rich yeah, why, and I'm apparently closer care? to yeah. my God than anybody. <laughs> yes. You know, Dianetics says I'm awesome. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not only was he willing to be made fun of and parodied in that film he was standing next to a man doing an impression of him which was i mean like that that takes some balls to do the impression and to go all right roast me you know go for it and and you gotta love a good sport i you know in in the internet age especially when everyone has been out of shape about something all the time someone who can make fun of themselves is is great to see even if you got to go back 20 years to see it well, the roasts themselves are another thing where like the, the classic roasts with Sinatra and Dean Martin and all those right. guys, the everything. but leading into the stuff of today of going on TV and having people just rip you to shit and bring out every dark fucking thing about you. And and if you're David Hasselhoff, if you're any number of these people, the Bruce Willis one, Edward Norton came out in the Bruce Willis one and did this thing where he talks about Bruce Willis's career and just destroyed him. Because everything he said was 100% honest, and it was just so darkly funny. And watching Bruce Willis sit there and cry laughing at this person who's not a comedian, but one of his fucking peers, and probably one of his best friends in in Hollywood and stuff like that. And just see him rip him up so bad in a way that everybody's like, I can't believe he's making these jokes to his face. Right. Right. Like, say whatever you want about Bruce Willis as a political person, as an actor, or whatever. The fact that he can sit there and enjoy that. And I think he honestly enjoyed it. I don't think it's just like I'm collecting a check because what the fuck does he need the check for? It's 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 a celebration of who he is. And it's also kind of a revelation of like maybe who you are is not the greatest person in the world. But I think that's amazing. I think that's so cool. Yeah, he you sat up there and took shit from his ex-wife. You know, yeah. Demi Moore came out there and, and roasted him and he laughed. And, you know, you got to love someone who can laugh at like that. I think that's so cool. But so speaking of deep dark holes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We watched a movie. I forgot. <laughs> hey, at least well, we kind of talked okay. about it a little bit already. Um, so, yeah. So we get to a point in the movie where it goes from being six women trapped in a cave to six women trapped in a cave with creatures uh, that look like the blind, the blind albino cave hoic from Ren and Stimpy. If anybody gets that reference. Oh my God. Uh, good luck. You are my people. Um. So I always loved French toast, man. <laughs> Powder toast, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck. No, don't, <laughs> don't feel bad. I couldn't remember who dead mouth was earlier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's far more embarrassing. At it's least said it right this time. Quote who it is. Yeah. Danger mouse boy. 
Hmm. Well, D- they were both DJ Danger Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a Jack Black? Uh, so, uh, Wonder Boy. Yeah, I know. I had to think. Oh, um, I, I had to think about it. So you're good. You're good. It was my ringtone for a while. You complete me. <laughs> I'm the. Uh, oh shit! I was going to say I'm the. I'm the KG I'm the to your Jack Black. And, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm the walrus. <laughs> but yes. Um. So one of the things. Let's see how many I times we can cut I'm, off Corey while he's trying to say the sons. That's cool. <laughs> I'll. Stop. I think that's what I do all the time, anyways. Yeah, so. We all we do it to each other. It's fine. Uh, back at me. Uh, so this movie, uh, I was telling Matt about this before we we started. The director of this movie had done a movie called Dog Soldiers uh, before this came out, which is a right. horror movie about military uh, team who were werewolves or fighting werewolves. Uh, I've only seen it once, and it was about the time that it came out and was you know popular at that moment. Um, but I remember liking it. But he didn't want to do another horror movie, and he had to kind of be convinced to do this and he's like well i only want to do it if it's something that's very different and one of the things that he did a couple of things that he did to separate that from this is one all women as the the stars of the film as the the protagonists and then he gave them all slightly different accents you could understand the differences between who they were easier because dog soldiers they were all very british and the accents were very similar um but the of course, the studio didn't want an all-female cast. They thought that was a weird way to go. But I love that about this because... And now it's a thing. Now well, it's a it, marketing tool. Yep. Yeah. It, it can be a marketing tool, but I don't no, think that it's... It, is. it can be disingenuous sometimes, but it's really not always. And in this, it was such a great play to do because these you've got to have a team of people, like I said earlier, that trust each other, that believe in each other. And... Three of the women in this we see from the beginning in the whitewater rafting part are all, you know, they're very close friends. And then we meet some other characters that they've known that were probably a part of that and just weren't there for that one scene. And they talk about the fact that I wish I could have been there, but I was busy at school and stuff. But it is so well done because that's the kind of thing is you could see these people being friends and being close and their relationships gives you a buy in as to why they would be doing this together. And when it's just a random group of people or like, you know, hot guy, uh, funny fat guy, uh, other hot guy, but not as hot as the first guy, uh, hot chick, brainy chick, who's probably secretly hot if you take your hair out of the ponytail and um, conniving bitch, then who gives a shit? Because that is like every goddamn horror movie out there. Um, Oh, and probably somebody who's black. But this is not that. It doesn't do the stereotypical. It's just like, yeah, this is a group of friends who are together and this horrific thing happens to them because of both bad choices made and because of the unknown. And I think that that's really neat. And I think it was a wise decision. And it's probably part of why um, this movie has been so popular and has remained so popular. Because it is highly rated on, uh, I think Rotten Tremendous score was like 85% or something. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's a fair score for it, I think. Um, and I think the dy- the dynamics they built for these women made it real. It wasn't this group of six women that was like, we're all best friends. It was sort of like they some knew each other better than others. Right. Uh, uh, was it Juno? Uh, they were just sort of like, oh, she was a little distant and she wasn't around after the accident because she couldn't deal. Yep. And then there was the the American girl uh who's like a base jumper and 
none of them seemed to know her as well. She was sort of connected to one of the girls, but not the whole group. And I like that because when you do get a group of people together, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like instantly like, okay, you get it that these three are close and that there's, there's, they're part of a bigger group and that there's different dynamics between each of them. I, I really, I love that they took the time to do that and it didn't slow down the movie and it just made it, it just made them seem real, like a real group. Yeah. So one of the things that I didn't gather while I was watching the movie, but remember I had my hands uh, looking through my fingers a lot of the time. Uh, They're going to say you had your hands tied behind your back. I'm like, what yeah. you and Aaron do in your free time is none of our business. <laughs> it's everybody's business. Uh, that's our webcams. Oh. So the main character was... 4 a minute. Uh, the main character was Sarah, if I'm remembering right. Is that the yeah. the main one? Who at the beginning uh, loses her husband and child to a car accident. Very abruptly. Yeah, they just wow. randomly drove through a uh, Final Destination film. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> of it. Um, but yeah, so uh, Juno, at, at, at a point, I don't remember it being in the movie, but I know that reading from the background is that Sarah discovers not only the Juno kind of left one of their friends for dead after stabbing her in the neck with a, a pick to, to she was trying to protect herself and she just didn't know how to react after that. And she kind of freaked out and ran off. Um, but not only left her for dead, but also had an affair with Sarah's husband while he was still alive. And I didn't quite get that from the movie. And, and it's very possible that I just missed that part, but that's part of why Sarah does not, trust or help Juno in the end and actually works against her when she's trying to get out of there. Did you guys get that from it? No. I, you got that something was off, but I don't remember it being explicitly that Juno uh, had an affair with him. It's but something it about that token that, that she's got that um, Beth, who's the one who got stabbed and tells yeah. Sarah not to trust her. She like goes to hand her this thing, and, and Beatmaster saying in the chat it's subtle, and, and and that might be a multiple watch thing. Um, I certainly, in this case, I got it from uh, reading up on the plot afterwards, because I was like, you know, some of this I didn't gather. I I had to look at my phone a lot, uh, but I thought it was a weird thing because it doesn't get expressly stated. At the end, we see Sarah confront her with that that um, keepsake token thing. And I thought when I saw that, that that was just confronting her. Like, I know that you left right. Beth for dead, but it was also supposed to be, I know that this came from my husband and uh, you're a stone cold bitch. So I'm going to stab <laughs> you in the knee and get out of here and, and leave you as, as bait for them. That makes me feel better about her doing that because I was sitting there like, well, Juno didn't mean to stab uh, Beth through the neck. I right. think that's a little bit harsh to stab her in the leg and leave her maimed back there. But yeah, if that is the subtext of that, that, oh, you also fucked my husband. So uh, yeah, I'm leaving you here to be zombie food or whatever. Yeah, like, I would totally that, be on board with a movie that like I I stabbed you because it's the only way I'm going to survive. You know, be faster yeah. than the the next person so that they're the ones who, right. who get... You don't have to outrun caught. the bear. You just have to outrun your friend. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that they're, that it was, oh, I'm doing it because you you killed Beth didn't feel like enough. And it, it didn't feel like it was earned in the sense that 
like she didn't have enough information to go on. I also kind of think you're not close enough to the exit to make that decision yet. You know, it's yeah. It's she like, wasn't I even sure be, where the exit was at that yeah, point. I have to be pretty damn sure that I'm out and scot free um, before I give up my support in this. So like it, it's you and me against them. Well, now it's just me against them once they eat your insides out. Right. Uh, like you're a human Oreo, and I'm still trying to find out where the milk is. <laughs> Single or double stuff? <sighs> have you seen the new mega stuffed ones? Like not mega stuff. They're like giant. I've like, seen they exist, of, but I haven't yeah. seen them in the store. I don't I know how I feel about that. I can't do that. that I'm, is, I'm old school, original Oreo. I'm a double stuff, but I, I think anything more than that, the, the, the cream to cook ratio is too far gone. I, I'm an original Oreo, and I hit it with Juno, too. So, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> <laughs> team Juno over here. Yeah, it's fine. You got to be somewhere. So there yeah, was a, a couple of moves. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, like, that uh, that chain she had, the charm, whatever the thing that Beth took from her. I think if they had had uh, Sarah's husband say that, I don't remember what it said on it, something like love every day or live every day. Right. If if we had heard him say that, and we it would be a little more expressed, like, oh, I know where that came from now. And the fact that Juno had it, that sort of would clear a lot of that up. There is a lot of, it's probably in the subtext somewhere buried, but yeah, I didn't get anything explicitly. And I just feel like one little cookie crumb might've made that a little bit clearer. And Yeah, and we have such a short time with the husband and daughter who aren't even in the boat when they're doing the whitewater rafting. They're just kind of cheering them on. And then right. immediately like, oh, she's asking what's wrong. And that's what leads to the car accident is it's, it's probably... If if we had had that context, we would understand that he's upset because he knows that he just saw the person that he's been having an affair with. Right. And it's either he wants to confess or he wants to leave her to go be with Juno or something. But he's he's feeling conflicted about that. And that's what distracts him and causes the car accident. Anything that could have given us more discovery of that in the movie, I think, would have been better because those are pretty crucial things. And they make a lot of sense in, in what happens later on. Sure. I don't want it spoon fed, but just right. a little bit more uh, uh, leaning into that, I think, would have helped. So, one thing Beatmaster is asking in the chat is uh, Did we watch the theatrical or the unrated cut? Whichever I one think, I downloaded. Yeah. Th I think uh, there's well, only one way to know the difference, and that is the scene at the end when Sarah's in the truck and she turns over and she thinks she sees Juno and she throws up outside of the truck. Is that the last scene you've seen, or does she wind up back in the cave? Well, mine ended with a hardcore sex scene. Well, that's because you flipped over to the you watched the Rankin, super unbranded ass yeah. Pornhub page. <laughs> <laughs> Call right. back. So the part I left out is where I actually stopped the movie early, got up, went to my computer, and searched "big tittied bitches" <laughs> on X videos. And you saw that girl from your show last oh, night. Yeah, oh yeah, some big ass titties. <laughs> And again, I'm telling you, I think we lost Matt's Matt. computer was off. He was just <laughs> looking at himself. Guys, I, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> uh, for me, it ended with her in the cave. I watched whatever version is on HBO right now. Um, okay, then that must be the that's the unrated cut. If it if it goes from her being in the truck to then her going back in the cave and having the the vision of her daughter 
and the birthday cake yeah, and the birthday and cake, everything yeah. and realizing that you're it out. That's the that's the uh, the non theatrical edition. They cut that part off in the theaters. They felt like it was um, it was too dark, a little nihilistic for uh, for the audience. Also, it it cuts down the option of having a sequel, which they did. So, <laughs> because did they only the, have one sequel. I think there's only been Descent 2. I don't think they've done a Descent 3. They probably could, but since I haven't seen the second one, I don't know. I just know that the second one basically takes place of Sarah gets away, she goes out, the and they make her go back to the cave to show them where everybody is because they don't believe her that they were attacked by creatures. Oh, it's aliens. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Is Paul Reiser in it? Is he the uh, one who makes her go back? Yeah, basically, he's got a flipped up collar on his suit, yes. uh, but he's also uh, bone white and just like a blood sucking fiend in the dark, uh, which I think is what happened to Greg Evigan, actually, from my two dads. Uh, BJ and the bear couldn't bear it anymore. Oh, that is a deep cut. Oh, I'm way, way back. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I. Beat says it's worthwhile. I Aaron owns it. It's. Available, and she asked me last night. She's like, made, sounds like you own everything. This was like a, this is one of those movies that she rewatches a lot, and in, a, in an uncomfortable way for me. But I just I wanted to watch Saturday Night Live last night. I wanted to see what was going on. That was a mistake. <laughs> like, I just kept seeing uh, complaints about Greta Van Fleet all over Twitter. But uh, there, yeah, that's are. all I know about it. So. I guess they're from Michigan. Yeah, they're like they're from Frankenmuth or whatever. Uh, good for them. We we've had worse come out of this place. Like at the time, Madonna seemed like a good idea, but years later, City Lopper way better. Fair assessment. Hmm. I really liked the uh, silence after Corey's whatever. Because you were trying to find a way to argue, and you knew I was right. I was trying to think of a Cindy Lauper song to reference, but I didn't know how to shoehorn "Goonies Are Good Enough" into the conversation uh, in a smooth way. Newfound Glory covered that song. (laughs) It's all full circle. Yeah, right. That's okay, Phil. It's our time. It's our time. It's our time down here. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) This is what happens when I hang out with two old guys. Oh no! This is not what happens with two old guys. Do you want to compare uh, heart medication? And hip surgeons? I'm not quite there yet, but uh, I'm, I'm not far off. I'm getting there. I have to have my heart valve scraped. I know that. I have, That's I have my chiropractor appointment tomorrow to uh, to clear up my sciatica. So yeah, I, I go to a chiropractor, but that's because I put heavy weight on my back like an asshole. It's because you masturbate while driving. We know. Um, that <laughs> could arguably keep me younger. Wow. <laughs> You if you've never curious. if you've never been driving 75 down the highway while achieving orgasm you just you don't know what it's like to f- just truly know what it might be like your your life to end man so don't 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 drive and and sex don't drive and jerk guys it's it's just it's it's it generally it sounds like a lot of fun it's not it's like having sex in a shower it's like oh yeah what a great time and it's like well this is really dry for being so wet in here i don't know what's going on with that so i was uh i was with a a person that i don't date anymore because i'm married now and it's not my (laughs) wife so let's let's nip that in the bud and uh, we were coming back from from a, a social gathering, and uh, she thought it would be fun to get frisky in the front seat of the car. 
And I was like, that sounds really dangerous because I'm going to get caught in my zipper trying to get out of this if something bad happens. And and she's like, no, no, it'd be great. And you can only argue so much. <laughs> and so she decides that she wants to get some uh, Jack in the Box. Uh, what? <laughs> Yeah. Wait, is this the restaurant or is this? Yeah, or did, or did you jack in a box? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is the restaurant. This is the move. And, and so we're, we're driving. We're driving up to the restaurant, and uh, we're at the drive-through because it's closed. At least it's it's so not well lit. Stone. And no, I'm not. Uh, I, but so we, I order for her because she's still because busy. her mouth is full. Her mouth is full. <laughs> <laughs> and then. After ordering and they're telling me to please drive through, I have to pull around. And so I go to put myself away. And as I do so, I get caught in my zipper like I said I was going to. Which is And the not- prophecy has been fulfilled. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I'm crying, gathering up, let's be honest, a, a vanilla milkshake. And... Um, I think we lost Matt. In a jumbo jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ah. I don't even think we got two tacos. It's... No, you had a taco earlier. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, be careful out there. Oh, all... is this the first time I'm hearing this? <laughs> <laughs> That's the same person who told me about the the, the the hole in my penis, suggesting I put an earring in it, and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it turns out that I've had a, a hole in the flap of the skin under the head of my penis my entire life and never knew. I also never knew that until just now. Because you're not a listener to the show. My abs hurt. I can't follow that. I so Milky Way things in the dark hole. Uh, the descent is what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> Corey, you have you have to talk. I got nothing. <laughs> I, I someone get us back on track. Yeah. So we know that a couple of people die in this because they make the poor decisions of just like running ahead of everybody else. Like there is the 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 first one who who dies because she thinks she sees light. She goes taking off towards it. That seemed a weird position. I understand if it was like she's paranoid because she's in a cave and she's just trying to find a way out of there, but she wouldn't listen or slow down for anybody. So she just runs forward and then slips down into a darker hole and breaks her leg. So they have to rescue her. That was a that was an odd moment. And that was when we first see the creatures and when Sarah first sees the creatures while they're trying to uh, save her and rescue her leg and everything. But that was it. That felt disingenuine from what we had seen so far because she didn't seem like a uh, a loose cannon up until then. Well, and they, they painted these women like, like they were uh, they were experienced in all of the, you know, they were hikers, they were uh, climbers, they were base jumpers, whitewater rafting, they do all these adventurous things and it's sort of like 
you would know not to just run off through a dark fucking cave. Yeah. Just uh, dive headfirst into the. It, yeah. It just, it, I agree. That was, that seemed, I understand why they did it, why they needed to move that plot forward and, and why they wanted to, you know, hobble somebody to add a challenge, but it was just sort of like, it, it really did seem like, Oh, here's all these daredevils who are acting like they've never fucking put on a pair of hiking boots before and just right. acting like children the first time they see light taking off running. It was, yeah, it's really weird. Now that one is the one where I have a problem with it. Later on when they're actually being murdered in the caves by these creatures that have never been seen by man, uh, then I can buy into it. Now there's, oh, the, sure. I'm trying to get out of here at all costs and I'm not waiting around for everybody else and I will abandon you to survive. I'm okay with that. But that, moment was the part where it's like uh, kind of took me out of it a little bit which i was grateful for because again i'm a chicken shit watching this so uh the creatures i i would like to point out that my wife texted me to make sure i was okay because she couldn't tell if i was laughing or crying <laughs> from the other room <laughs> she also claims that a dog was very concerned we just we just touched Matt so, on a really emotional yeah. level, so he's sitting here bawling. So I'm trying to text her and let her know that Corey was just telling me about zipping his dick up while trying to order fast food. Yeah, <laughs> just just a normal Sunday night here. Roadhead drive through. Don't do it. You think it's going to be good? It's not that good. <sighs> I'm sorry. Yeah, save that. Save that for the Red Lobster. Do they sell all you can? Is shrimp shrimp fest happening? Lobster oh, fest? I don't know. Changes all the time. It's, all you can eat shrimp. Never. Oh, endless shrimp. That's what it was. Shrimp jam. Shrimp jams. Twenty nineteen. I just go there for the Caesar salads and the the <sighs> Those biscuits. Biscuits. Oh. Cheddar yeah. Bay biscuits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like me an Admiral's feast. Don't tell me that you don't like the Admiral's feast. Deep fried everything. Fuck yeah. But those Cheddar Bay biscuits are what get me there. <laughs> I went to, uh, so Phil, you're not familiar. I live in a town of 900 people. I grew up in a town of 900 people. Which one? I, uh, in Illinois, I grew up in a town called Shabana. Okay. Haven't heard of it, so I think you made it, it up. No, nobody has ever heard yeah, of it. That, I, I'm I thought, pretty sure you made it up. I know Isn't the dynamics one of, the... of a 900-person Midwest town. <laughs> yeah. Isn't Shabana yeah. the, one of the dancers from Breaking to Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> yes. Yes, my entire town was all about saving a rec center. He, he played he played Turbo, right? The other one was Zozo, and he was Turbo. <laughs> That's funny. Um, anyways, we went to a bar, and uh, Friday night I had haddock that was covered in Alfredo sauce and crab meat. Oof. And it just went right through me. <laughs> just yeah. a butter luge through my butthole. The Admiral's Feast at a at a local tavern bar and grill uh, setting is probably not the wisest diet. No, God, no, could, no, 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 no. It, it was a once. It's a once in a lifetime experience. And well, yeah. I gotta see what it, it's almost an experiment. Yeah, and by lifetime it means you see your life flash before your eyes as you're yeah. shitting. <laughs> you, I wanted to make sure that my heart was still working, so I put it into overtime. That is fair. That is absolutely fair. Yeah, I don't even remember what we're talking about anymore, other than food. Oh, I think we're going to talk about the creatures. because so It looked like a scrotum when you pull it back a little too too hard. <laughs> and you put googly eyes on your nutsack. When you, when you give yourself the brain, yeah. uh, isn't that it? It's the bat, the bat wing when you pull yeah. it taut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I once wrote a poem to my left testicle and and I mentioned the brain in that and I don't think anybody understood the reference or no one liked my poetry. Fuck you. Who okay, so you wrote a poem about your left testicle and then yeah. read it to people? Uh, no, I, I posted it on the on the live journal. Oh, live journal. As you That's should exactly what you're there for. Right, exactly. Fuck, man. It was a it was a herniatic thing. I had a it wasn't a hernia, it was a small growth. <sighs> but it felt bad at the time. Uh, but the creatures, yeah. So skinny, white, pasty motherfuckers that you could probably see through if you had a backlight. So I assumed so, it was Depeche Mode. So Canadians. Mode. <laughs> yeah, it was Depeche Mode. Depeche um, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh, very flimsy. I like. I guess if you get them in mass, it's we watched that movie a couple years ago, Cooties. Mm-hmm. Where it's like mm-hmm. how many how many four year olds can you beat up at once? Um, this is sort of like that. It's like okay, there's twenty of these things, so they can kind of overpower you. But otherwise, really flimsy. Like it didn't take much when Juno twisted that one's neck and broke the neck and everything, or right. just in general, like, I'm stabbing through them. A lot of blood spurting, like not enough light for the blood to be that red, uh, but just some really good gushiness in this. I think from a a spatter kind of film that that was enjoyable like you liked seeing them get ripped up and you like seeing them rip people up if if you're if you're just in it for the gore it has some good gore which is far less psychological than what the movie starts with well they have the the one scene where sarah falls into a pool a literal pool of blood where you know it's just sort of like in the feeding area where all this blood has pooled right and, you know, then she rises out of it like Arnold in Predator, <laughs> you know, where it's just sort of like, and it's so red, you know. By like, the way, if you said blood pool one more time, you would have automatically conjured Rob Liefeld. Uh, well, that's why I stopped myself. <laughs> and when I'm coming to come in and, and draw enormous tits on me. Yeah. But, uh, but no, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it was, there was a lot of blood in it, like a gratuitous amount of blood. Yeah. Uh, and, and there were moments especially with sarah when she is in that that part where they're like the one comes down and she's hiding she's just laying there still and he like puts his foot on her actual head and she's just trying to remain completely non-moving and stuff so she can get away from him or or sneak up on him after but that was again very like psychological horror of could i handle that could i not react even if it makes it my own life which is also a little bit Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator in the mud. Yeah. 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 Holy but those shit, creatures, this movie is Predator. Yeah. In some ways. The, the only thing that was missing was Carl Weathers. Uh, Carl Weathers is always missing. Mm. We miss you, Carl. <laughs> Except from the unemployment line. <laughs> I. Uh, put a little bit of it in a pot and then you got yourself a stew. Um, <laughs> wow no it the creatures were weird like one of the creatures had long hair so i i I assumed that that was the female like all the other ones were the slayer yeah exactly yeah there was a little baby uh monster and yeah the one with long hair showed up after sarah kicked that that baby one over which that one the the little the small one that jumped on her it reminded me of something out of like evil dead it reminded yeah. me of like a Sam Raimi type of monster. Uh, but yeah, I, I 
took that as like the mother protector kind of came up after that. So they, I feel like they tried to show like some kind of society of these things living, you know, down there. They weren't all the same, but really those were the only two that were really different. And we didn't get a backstory of what these creatures were. We know that there were, right. because of the, the cave paintings and stuff, we know that some other group, and she found a helmet of one of them, that they said someone had to crawl down there like 100 years ago right? Um, based on the equipment and stuff. But that's a long time in between meal periods. I assume that there's a lot of rats and stuff to feed on too, but they must have been just super excited. It's like, oh, someone just dropped off Domino's outside and we don't have to pay for it. Right. <laughs> there's all these tender bitches to eat. Uh, it, but it was like, shit, there were a lot of them. And I have to assume that their society is we eat the eat the weakest one. So I don't know that baby had much of a time going. If it was a baby and it was legitimately, it's going to grow up and be string, big and strong. Sure. But if it was like the Emmanuel Lewis of their society, it, 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 was it doesn't stand a fucking chance. <laughs> well, they showed, I mean, yeah, it is seem like, like, Oh, let's pick off the weakest, but they also showed like a bear carcass down there. Like, like yeah. these things were dragging everything they could get their hands on from the surface. And there was That's a right. shit they ton of bombs down there. Yeah, yeah, they do say that they are grabbing stuff from outside and bringing them back in. So that does, again, equivalent to there were ways out. So they had an understanding that they could get out of there, both by the the painting that they found and the fact yeah. that they had to get up to the surface at some point. But it seems weird that they could get up to the surface and take so many different things or people and not ever get discovered. Like, weren't they in like the Appalachian Mountains or something? Yeah. Yeah, they were in, like, North Carolina. Which is also strange that everybody in this sounded very much not of America. Um, but that's where it's supposed to have taken place. But, yeah, it took place. Uh, they do. I think Sarah mentioned she's from Scotland. They're all, a lot of them are from the UK. Right. So they did sort of paint it like, oh, this is Girls Weekend in America, Uh Exploring caves, which well, seems to the states explored a cave on the yeah. anniversary of my husband and child's death. Right. <laughs> it seems a little weird because I assume there's caves in Europe uh, you could go to, but uh, nah. it, you know, you know, whatever. what's not in Europe though? Jack in the Box. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about getting a pike in your head in the middle of a car accident? Oh no! Uh, God, that was way up more poor. So yeah, the the creatures, fucking weird. Um, what would you do if you accidentally killed your friend, and, and but you were in a situation where you don't really have time to deal with it? And so I just stabbed you in the neck. Gotta go. Um, <laughs> just fucking be like, hey, I gotta yeah. go about that. <laughs> I guess we'll talk about this later. Oh, yeah. I guess we won't be talking about we'll, this. We'll 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 circle around later. Yeah. I think what you should do is what Juno didn't do is make sure that your friend is dead before right. you uh, leave her. Um, and then Sarah has to finish the job. That God was damn, pretty. Sarah's yeah. always getting those sloppies from Juno that she doesn't <laughs> even know about. Sarah's always cleaning up Juno's messes. Fucking hell, you know. Um, I don't know. I feel like that was a really emotional part that didn't get the play it deserved. Like they kind of paused on it for a second. Um, but I don't feel like they really 
glared on that aspect as much because that is a really horrific it's a lot of blood and gore in fighting but that's the real real horrific part of that scene is when she turns around and realizes she stabbed her friend through the neck and um, do you think that's part of why sarah turns on her at the end also is because she doesn't even admit to it she lies and says that she saw june or she saw um her friend beth die right as opposed to saying I caused it and left Beth for dead. Yeah. Cause Sarah gives her the opportunity to, to fess up. She's like, you saw her die. Yeah. And, and Juno's like, yes. You See, know, like the, kind the of, husband thing seems kind of tacked on in, in a way. Is right. that but it also is like, that seems like a really harsh, like, like I said before, it seems like kill, leaving Juno to die was a really harsh thing for a really harsh punishment for that accident. Yeah. Because even if she didn't fess up to it, I think she kind of knows she didn't mean to. Um, but it also is sort of like, yeah, you didn't mean to, you could still say, yeah, something terrible happened. A terrible accident happened in the middle of this fight. And, and it was this big adrenaline rush. Uh, also, Sarah at that point doesn't know what Juno's done to try to one defend going back for her, and two, she was trying to protect the other two women that she was with, but both had died before Sarah came back again. So, right, she could have, in Sarah's eyes, either killed them or left them for dead too. And yeah, that's she has true. no way of knowing that she's she's been a better friend to her than that. But it's yeah, that's a that's a tough moment. Like just the the instance of turning around and seeing your friend stabbed in the neck and the weapon is still in your hand and like, still in her neck. Yeah. Was, you know, like, yeah, it was uh pretty, that's pretty harsh. That was a, that was a, a really tough reveal in the, in the movie. So it was, uh, yeah, I've, I kind of feel like it could have got a little bit more play. We didn't really see how Juno felt about it other than her denial of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, everybody at this point in time is, or the end of it at least, uh, has gone through such major trauma. Like, there's no way to right. to say whatever they're doing isn't realistic in, in reaction to what's gone on. I think the the problem with the ending for me is so, uh, Matt. I don't know where you cut out at, but uh, in the movie, Sarah, yeah, I don't even remember. You saw you got up and went and looked at porn. Yeah, but that's, I, that's I, just I know you well day. enough to not just disbelieve you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I dude, I, it was eight thirteen. What was I supposed to do? Yeah. That's not my you know I have a strict ten sixteen jerk sketch. <laughs> my my Apple Watch buzzes every thirty minutes yeah. and I don't jack it. It's, it's like, like, hey, you haven't jerked off yet. Low for too long. My like, Fitbit let me know. I yeah, right? Come on. I'm not building up like a 90 mile per hour clock rate. Are you dead? Yeah. Uh, I'm not edging for nobody's nobody's benefit here. <laughs> I'm not edging for nobody's benefit. Yeah. Only my own. Um, so uh, Juno and Sarah wipe through a bunch of the creatures and they get pretty close to what seems to be probably the exit. And Sarah kind of confronts Juno without using so many words and then shows her like, I know what you did. And then hits her with one of the pickaxes in the knee and leaves her there as all the creatures start crawling out of the, the uh, caves to attack them. Sarah takes off 
crawls out, gets out of the cave, gets back to the truck, um, drives down, is not a good driver. So, bitch, you didn't learn anything from the accident earlier with your husband? And then pulls over the side of the road, has a vision of Juno in the truck, leans out the truck, throws up. That would be the ending in the theatrical version, but then in the extended version, there's an extra 30 seconds where she wakes up, she's still in the cave, she sees a vision of her daughter and her daughter's birthday cake, Um, and then that goes dark, and it turns out that her daughter, of course, is not there, and it's like one of the tortures or something, and she's just stuck in the cave still, and that's where it ends. So there's no escape for her, and likely she would have been consumed by the creatures at that point, too. I don't like that ending. And my wife said the extended ending is not good. It's better when she gets away. Uh, and obviously it makes more sense for the sequel, but it just like that part didn't work for me because the dream ending is always shitty. There's just never, I think a good time. And I, I know it's a really big horror trope of like, Oh, you wake up and it's still happening. Or you wake up from the dream and Carrie's hand has just dragged you back into the fucking ground or something. I don't like that. It, it just bums me out that they would have gone with that at all. It seems kind of too tropish for what other things this movie accomplished. Do you have a feeling on that, Phil? Uh, yeah, I can. I don't understand the reason for that ending either, because it it does seem. Um, I don't know if lazy is the a fair word, but it just. I don't know. There, there seemed to be some redemption for Sarah in getting out, you know, in, in making the escape. It seemed like she overcame, she was strong enough to overcome whatever her personal demons were to be empowered, to kill her rival, apparently, you know, which harsh as I think that is for accidentally killing someone, the way she killed Juno was badass to just maim her and leave her there. Um, but yeah, I liked it. She is a terrible driver. She almost gets hit by a semi because she parks on the road. Um, but yeah, I think as soon as she she barfs out the window and turns around and sees Juno, like as soon as they show Juno in the car with her, it's like, what the fuck? And right. then she wakes up in the cave and I'm like, well, this, this is apropos of nothing at this point. Like this has nothing to do with with anything that has led up to this point. So I don't understand the reason that they tack that ending on. Um, and I think I would have liked it better with her just, just getting away and having it end there. Or I, what I thought was going to happen. I thought they were going to mirror the car accident. They were going to bookend the movie with another fatal car <laughs> accident. Yeah, exactly. She, she escapes the cave and then gets killed in traffic uh, because she's driving like a hysterical moron. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that would have been a more satisfying ending. And it's not that it's not that that ending in, in the cave is bad. It just doesn't mean anything. It just seems like if you're going to ask a high school student to write an ending to something that is meaningful, that's what they would do. There's no meaning to it, but it seems like it means something. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but it just seems, yeah, it just seems empty. I think. Be is saying it's the, the, the way the director prefers it is with that ending. And that kind of reminds me of the original ending to clerks 
where Dante Dante gets dies shot. at the end of it. Yeah, gets shot and get... dies at the end. And it it seems I can I can see storytellers who like to do that, who like to give you that. They just want to shock you. Right, that shock ending that uh, the final nail in the coffin of the story is this. And I've certainly written enough stuff or have planned out stories where the the main character has died at the end or or would die at the end uh, whenever I get the fuck around to it. Um, and I I can get that, but it just seems such a weird way to go about Sarah dying at the end. I actually would have preferred if the opposite happened and Juno had been the survivor and Sarah ultimately is the one who dies in the cave because Sarah is the survivor of the auto accident at the beginning. It would have been far more tragic for her to not live through this and have it be that at the end, with all the wrong that she's done, Juno is the actual protagonist of the film. Uh, and she's the final girl, even though she doesn't deserve it. So uh, you want it to play out in the way that justice actually plays out in the universe. Yeah. Where, that, where that the shitty be, person comes out on top. <laughs> yeah, that would have been more interesting to me. Because otherwise it's too karmic balanced. And and I, I think that that's not challenging enough. If you're going to have that ending. I would, of course, prefer that they both survive together and they have to deal with their shit. Um, that, to me, is more interesting than both those concepts. Is like, okay, you you are a fucking nail in my life of my memories of my husband and child that it's already, I've got to deal with all this crap. Now I have to deal with this on top of it. But realistically, we have to get the fuck out of here. You know, you don't necessarily choose your friends in a situation and they were friends for a long time anyways. So how far into non-forgiving can you get to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave you here for dead now. Right. Because then she just has to go on with the life of being a person who killed her friend. And her friend would have had to go on with the life of being someone who killed her friend. So we just trade one for the other. God damn it, Corey. Get to writing. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like... So one of the things with this podcast is that I, I've sounded more critical than I ever intend to on a lot of these things, except for Strangeland. Matt notes that uh, Strangeland sucks. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I love to make fun of him for his favorite movies, that and Santa Slay. I, I just I tease him about him. But the, being critical is shitty. And, and Jack talked about this a little bit last week where he says um, – that someone had had mentioned like they didn't like a movie. Oh, John Krasinski didn't like a movie. And someone else told John Krasinski, hey, you know, you're a director now. You probably shouldn't say that you don't like other people's stuff. I like to be honest about what I think stories should be. And and I think being critical is not necessarily being like that sucks. And I absolutely don't think this movie sucked. And I don't think the storyline sucked. Uh, the actresses were all really good in it. Um but I have to talk about the things that I personally would do differently. Sure. Because I like to tell stories and because I think that it gives people the opportunity to say, would that be better? Or would that be worse? My way isn't necessarily right. It's often very not that way. But if we don't make the discussion happen, then why are we doing the show? Well, I mean, whether I would do it one way or you would do it another way, at the end of the day, the director did it his way. Yeah. And and that's the way that matters. But no, I think it, that's what we have these conversations for. You know what and I mean? Like, 
Katy Perry it, sold out two arenas right after Bish Bish or whatever came out. So Bish Bish yeah, or it, Dish? Yeah. <laughs> I just made that up, so that's not true. It's uh every, everyone's allowed an opinion and I you're right, criticism is not saying something sucks. Like that's the laziest critique you can ever say. I don't like this movie. No, well, why not? But, because it sucks. And that's just a lazy criticism. Yeah, I, I agree. Something. But by being a, a a producer of some sort of content, you ultimately are putting it out there to be For sure. Yes. So we all understand that. We put something out there saying I don't like this or that and someone says, "Well, you guys are fat fucks," then whatever i i understand what i'm getting myself into by putting myself out there so a producer should have to understand that by saying well i'm going to put this movie out there and i'm going to say it ends this way because this is the way i want it to if someone disagrees you have to understand that that's coming i mean go ahead uh, just yeah i made a choice here it is yep do you agree with this do you not agree with this and let's i always like the let's talk about it route Mm -hmm. uh you know my my kids growing up i don't like this i would always say why Tell yeah. me why. Tell me what you don't like about it. Don't just say something stupid or it sucks. Let's talk about what you don't like about it. Because when you have that language, it just I think it makes you a better consumer of media. Yeah. And and I also I don't want to pretend like it as a as a person who creates something, I don't want to say that it would ever hurt my feelings to have something that is universally loved. Like if I wrote a story and every single motherfucker in the world who read it or found it loved it, I would be perfectly okay with that. Um, But that's not ever likely to happen for anybody. And so if you don't have, and I don't want to say a thick skin, but if you don't have the realism of accepting that some people don't like something about your piece of work, (laughs) even if it's otherwise perfect and everybody else disagrees with that one person, that one person may actually still have a valid gripe about it or they could just be a youtube commenter and fuck them yeah right in the pussy or that one person <laughs> will be the one that gets under your skin despite the ten thousand glowing reviews right it's, it's that, always the one barb you know yeah um but i would i would much rather have people no i would is it is it the i would rather have people dislike my stuff and talk about it than not talk about it at all no i'd probably rather <laughs> not hearing all the hate. Be anonymous. Yeah, like, I'm having a pretty good anonymous life as it is right now. So, uh, yeah, I get you that. Can, you can hold back some a bit. You can. You, you don't have to tell me. I don't care. It's it's fine. You don't need to rip me new asshole online. Thank you. Um, no, I, I think it's it's very. It's still very apparent that this is a good movie. I think this is a good story. I, I think that there's a lot that while I was uncomfortable with it, being uncomfortable is exactly what it's supposed to make me feel. Um, So it achieves that. And I cared about the characters in this. I didn't care about them all equally, but I didn't get to spend enough time with them all equally. But there was nothing in this where I was just like, oh, that character's stupid and I wish they weren't even in this. I just, I wish that certain things would have been done differently so I could have taken it a little bit further. But it's also, it's a, hour and a half movie that you know it's a beginning middle and end and achieves a lot in that amount of time so even though i don't spend hardly any time with the husband and daughter i'm interested in their characters because of the impact that it makes to sarah's character down the road and to juno's character down the road yeah i think that that's all pretty pretty good accomplishment for 
you know, a filmmaker that I don't know a lot of his stuff beyond this. Uh, he actually uh, directed the new Hellboy movie that's coming out. Oh, shit. Uh, this year? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's the guy behind that. So I'm interested to see what he does with with Hellboy when that I'm when that rolls out. Super excited for that with, movie. With uh, David Herber, yeah. Yeah, it's got a lot to live up to, but... Uh, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm craving to see what he accomplishes with that and what Harbor does in the role. Uh, I'm curious. I was not overly impressed with the trailer, but it has an interesting look to it. So I am, I am really curious to see what that movie is going to be. I, I'm in that same boat with you, Corey. I shortcomings that I griped about on here aside, I enjoy this movie. I watch it today. I had a really good time with it. I don't suffer from claustrophobia. So things that freak out, you and my brother-in-law uh, didn't really break me down. Uh, for me, it was just an enjoyable, suspenseful monster movie. And like I said earlier, it, without the monsters, this is a really enjoyable, suspenseful movie. I I was in it. I mean, those creatures don't really show up till 45, 50 minutes in. Yeah. yeah. You're really just watching uh, these women lost in a cave. And that's pretty harrowing enough because that's a real life uh, dangerous situation. Uh, I I enjoyed this movie, um, and and uh, yeah, I want to check out more of this. I do want to see that Dog Soldiers movie. I want to see some more of what this director's done because whether I agree with his choices or not, I think he's got an interesting eye, and I think he is at least willing to go out on a limb and make an interesting choice, even if I don't fully. Uh, I'm not fully on board with it. You know what I mean? So the creature's only coming in halfway through the movie. Uh, did From Dust Till Dawn come out before this? Yes. So that's, a, yeah, that's another yeah, one like where years. you get to the halfway point and all of a sudden there's vampires in it. That becomes you have an all entirely this, different movie at, at right, the halfway like point. The in. <laughs> yeah. um, I, so I, I'm not necessarily giving huge points for creativity obviously doing very different things, different films. Uh, but I do like that. I like the fact that you see characters living their lives and doing all this stuff and experiencing it and already have an interesting story and then fucking with that, just driving a fucking dagger in the back of it. I think that when it's done well like this, it works out uh, really well for the storytelling. But you guys are more versed in horror than I am by, by quite a lot. Would you say that some of the best horror movies really delay the entrance uh, of that monster i'm thinking of like the thing i mean it doesn't show up right away predator it doesn't show up right away uh alien we're about a half hour 45 in by the time uh the chestburster shows up you know like yeah i i feel like sort of setting up character dynamic in the beginning uh and and getting the the tension between characters right before adding this breaking point of the monster in Maybe that's sort of a, a secret ingredient to to having a really good horror movie. I think it can be, but I think it also depends on if you if you give people a taste of what's coming up and you don't go too much into it. I'm thinking of uh, two movies in particular, uh, It and It yeah. Follows, where in both cases you know about what's going to, what the subject matter is. Like there's something that's, that's obviously this girl is scared of. She's running down the street and she gets in car and drives the beat and winds up dead the next day. Uh, it, you see what happens to Georgie at the beginning. The other kids don't know what it is. 
and you get to see their discovery of the creature and how they all kind of like coalesce and tell the stories to each other to both empower it and to get control over it. Right. Uh, I think that those absolutely can work in really great films too, but you're right that that slow suspense of you don't know what's coming until all of a sudden it's there, but you also don't feel like you're anticipating something coming. You're just in the middle of a story and then shit happens. I think can work to, to great effect and achievement. And, and those are great examples thing. The thing is a really good uh, work at that. And, and that's skilled storytelling on Carpenter's part doing that. Um, it just sort of depends. It really does. But I, I, I get what you're saying. And yeah, so like, yeah, it always from Dust Till uh, Dawn, obviously from Dust Till Dawn, yeah. it's not the first example, but it was the first one I thought of. Yeah, I don't want to say it's a rule, like it's an unbreakable thing, but yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, It Follows is the one about the, uh, if you have sex, mm-hmm. it's like the, it's like a STD that Transfers. kills you. Yeah. Uh, Allegory. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, if you haven't seen it, have you seen it? I have seen it, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I really like that movie because I think it achieves great mood and and you feel like you're being chased without having something specific that you can see and witness. It's shot um, in a really interesting way. Yeah, and it's, it's a really, a really effective concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, Phil Beat says, watch Doomsday. Doomsday. It says, tell Phil to watch Doomsday when he hasn't already. His Swiss accent is confusing me. <laughs> or, I, I don't Doomsday. know. He's talking about Reign of the Superman or, or what? Yeah, I don't even know. Um, it's like four in the morning there. Yeah. Yeah, he's more on top of it than we are usually, though. Yeah, holy shit. Even even at 4 a.m. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's Sunday night. I have to work. Yeah, I get it. It's stupid. Um, <laughs> Neil Marshall, 2008. Oh, same director then. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, you have your homework. Um, I do. Do you got? Are you guys ready to rate this? Yeah. Cool. Uh, Phil, because I know you never actually listen to the show, even though you say you did. Uh, it's a zero to five scale. You can give an explanation if you want. You don't necessarily have to, but since you're our guest, you have to go first. Uh, I'm going to throw a fraction up here, and I'm going to say uh, three and seven eighths. It's almost great, uh, but there's a couple of How things. How do I put back. a seven eighths in a Google <laughs> sheet? You fuck. You got to convert it to a decimal. 3.75. There uh, we go. Thank you very much for making uh, my I just life wanted easier. to fuck you up tonight, no, Matt. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to prove that I know math. I, I, th- I think this movie is. is really interesting um and it falls just shy of being really great i think i think it's a really entertaining watch Corey, how about you i'm gonna go 3.5 uh obviously i can't say that i'm i'm gonna want to rewatch this because the anxiety that it brings out on me but that's not a judgment on if it's a good movie or not i think it's a really good movie uh and it's it's still above the the halfway point for me it's just Maybe I would get a little bit more if I watch a sequel, and I might try to convince myself to watch a sequel at some point to see what they do to follow up and if there's more about the creatures, more about Sarah's story, or whatever else. But I think 3.5 is solid. Fun, fun. It was good. I only gave it a 2. Um, I didn't think it was as great as people make it out to be 
Um, I this is the first time I've seen it, so I do want to watch it again. I didn't think it was bad enough where I would never watch it again, but I didn't really get a lot of what people seem to make to make to be this movie so great. Um, I've also been drinking for three hours, um, barely slept, and had a very long yesterday. So, yeah, you're coming down off the high of uh, masturbating in your car. So, <laughs> didn't get pulled over though. Who's <laughs> laughing now? Uh, <laughs> Got away with it. <laughs> Damn it. Got him. Uh, you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. You can email us at pot at You can leave us a message on the website. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast of Terror. You can also subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and any of your favorite podcatchers. Leave us feedback. You're not going to, but you can. Uh, you can also go to bit.ly slash review. I'm not going to do that one either, but all subscription options and links can be found at gncast.com slash subscribe. Uh, you can follow the entire network on Facebook under the Galactic... It's, it's Galactic Netcasts again. We went back. Yeah. We're bringing it back. Yeah, we're bringing sexy back. Uh, Phil, where can people find your art, your podcasts, your sweet, sweet tuchus? Uh, PhilRude.com for my tuchus and all things <laughs> Phil Rude. You can get all my social media links there. Uh, you can find my BrokeBot Mountain link there. I have a comic online webtoon. I will be linking to that this week. It's called The Adventures of Professor Whiskers, and it's about a cat who fights dinosaurs. Fuck it's yeah. fun. It is a lot of fun. Anybody, who, and I don't want to make comparisons that aren't necessarily there, but if you enjoy things like Atomic Robo, uh, I would say that you would probably enjoy this. And I know that is a big thought. Insanely high praise. Uh, I uh, will never live up to that, but I appreciate it anyway. Way to go, Corey. Corey, uh, what, are, <laughs> what are you pushing this week? Uh, wet noodle around because I got caught in my zipper once. Oh, if you. <laughs> My penis looks like one of those creatures from this movie, except like when it came back from Vietnam. Uh, no, I don't know, man. I, I was anxious to talk about Phil's webcomic, so I'm glad that he, he mentioned it because that yes. was something that I was excited to, to pitch. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and untapped. I'm at the lifeguard. I'm trying to catch the last minute of this Patriots Chiefs game because I think the only one of the three of us who cares about sports so that's going to do it for another episode of Podcast Air. We'll talk to you guys next time. Stay scared, everybody. Bye.